Hey, I don't have any noodler's pens around. Oh. Oh. That was a low blow, Drew. Well. Yeah, no, no, nothing else. Uh, <laughs> I have some mint. I have some no mint comment. tea. I have some coffee. Other than that, I think that my tea. my uh, the odors are pleasant for now. For now. For now. Who knows what could happen? All right. I don't know. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do what? The pencast. Okay, that's fine. Ready. Good. Just yeah, checking. Yeah. Just I don't hey, man. I don't know what you mean. That's all right. All right. Welcome everyone to episode number 30. That is 3-0 of the Goulet Pencast. Where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. I am Drew Brown. Yeah, you are. And we're here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to talk about bullet journaling. I'm turning into Casey Kasem here. Tomoe River paper alternatives and custom grinds, including small italic nibs, among other things. We have a lot of disparate topics to discuss today and speaking of disparate topics we have some feedback to kick things off drew what do we have from alex well alex among others had some response to last week's discussion about the uh, odiferous nature of noodler's pens oh okay um alex says now get ready mm. i happen to like the smell of noodler's pens mm. it just seems to make my throat feel a little weird so alex perhaps <laughs> if uh smelling a pen makes makes your throat feel weird uh, I I am no medical professional. Maybe, maybe to take a test, take an <laughs> no, at home test on that one. <laughs> I don't profess to be an expert on absolutely anything, but uh, maybe don't do that anymore. Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, bring it in, consult a doctor, be like, Doc, smell this. Is this bad? Should I be? Co- makes my throat feel weird. Should I keep smelling it? Yeah. Let's see what he does. You know the um, you know the dad joke drew about you know I went to the doctor and I said, Doctor, it hurts every time I do this, and the doctor said, We'll stop doing that. Uh yeah yeah I think I've heard something like that yeah. before. It's like not it, a it's not a gut buster. That's no like, no like the you yeah. know it, it, I, my eye hurts every time I drink tea. Oh we'll take the spoon out you know. <laughs> You've heard that one yeah there you go. I haven't so, heard that one actually. Yeah that's yeah. pretty good. I no like it's that. not no I like that. it's not I like good. That. You made me Stop smile it. Drew. No. Look at the pleasure you're bringing to my face. <laughs> Stop it. Come on. Ugh I feel dirty. All right <laughs> um but there were a lot of comments about how the noodlers pen smell wasn't necessarily a bad smell it just was a smell a lot of folks actually said they're in my camp yeah well a lot of folks actually said it smelled nostalgic reminded them of like their grandmother's plastic wrapped sofa and things like that so um you know you know what it smells like drew tell me it smells like old screwdriver handles you ever have why are like, you sniffing old screwdriver handles, Brian Gould? I mean, why aren't you sniffing old screwdriver handles? No, I like my dad had like old screwdrivers from like his dad and like super old. It's because cellulose butyrate, which is that material, that was what was used because it's very shock absorbent. It's very durable. It was one of the earlier, um, you know, cellulose derivative plastics that was available in like the, you know, mid, early, mid 1900s. So, uh, yeah, it is a nostalgic smell. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
there were probably a multitude of grandparent era accessories made from this stuff so uh, you're, you're not alone you're not alone there you go. um but there were a lot of uh, very poetic descriptions of the noodler's smell and i enjoyed reading them so thank you <laughs> um a22 lottie says just want to thank drew for putting out that tip last week that was this was a tip of the week about how to um carefully and a little dangerously open up your fountain pen nib tines to yes. increase flow um Lottie says, I have a pen that was hard starting and skipping a ton, which led to it just not being used. So today I figured I'd give the tip a shot, and wow. Granted, I had to flex flex the tines more than three times, but the flow has improved so much. It's now riding under very near its own weight, so I don't have to apply any noticeable pressure when I use it. I'm happy. And to prove that this person was happy, there is a happy emoji. So you know it's true. that, that... That's that seals it yep. right there. So I thought that was delightful. That was really awesome. great to hear. That's Thank literally you. Literally exactly what the tip was given for was to have that exact experience. That's so very cool. Certainly was. And then finally, our friend Florence says, "Okay, I have to ask, what's that green thing on your back wall, Drew?" And apart from my video game characters, yes, I have. Uh, it's boogers. I have this little thing. Dry um, it is. Uh, it is Kermit. It is a Kermit the Frog <laughs> emoji keychain. Um, cute and uh i used to have for 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 one time i was trying to play around with grinding nibs and i had like a little grindy thing over there um obviously not grinding anything we ever sold just for my own practice and amusement um hanging on this little clip and i didn't like that clip just not doing a job so i had little kermit keychain i'm like you know what he's gonna hang over there so uh totally random and not necessary but nice. the clip gets to do its job cool story bro all right <laughs> this is from cap meum or i can't that's an l or capital i but anyway cap meum we'll say Wham. we need a caricature artist to render a drawing of drew as goose from top gun offering a toothbrush to brian's maverick in a shark suit Making it rain Waffle House gift cards. What an oddly specific image. Plus, we cannot forget the impending tidal wave of bowling balls in the background. Brian, how much of this do you remember us talking about from last episode? Um, Okay, I remember the Top Gun references. You do? See, I don't remember the Top Gun reference. I remember the bowling balls. I think. I actually... mm, Gosh, now that I think about it, I can't... I, like, the Top Gun was like, oh, yeah, Top Gun. But I, I I'm actually know. now not recalling the toothbrush <laughs> thing, because we talked about that a lot. Right, want, definitely the toothbrush. You want to toothbrush? But we definitely suit. mentioned all... Yeah, where's the shark suit come from? I know that we must have mentioned all this, because... We clearly have. Well, well, Cap, you clearly have a better memory than we do. We don't <laughs> know what nonsense is coming out of our mouth. But, uh... Yeah, I definitely said something about a tidal wave of bowling balls to describe my, uh... The... the, the 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 i don't know something about my passion for the toothbrush idea okay um, I, miss, but I, I miss i missed that one i missed that one i don't we say a lot of things and that's what i love about this comment brian because it's mm. just like it it's kind of, it kind of just reminds us of the malarkey that comes out of our mouths every episode yeah. so Mo- most of what we say can be ignored you you, you know just have it in the background as you're <laughs> taking out the trash or washing the dishes or weeding your garden or whatever and just you don't really need to pay that close attention to any of it Oh, um, goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, Lynn says, wait, Brian, have you entered the French drain 
method debate on YouTube, perforated versus PVC. Oh, yes, it's a lively debate. As with anything. Are you being serious? People, oh yeah. Like, should you use, should you use PVC pipe versus a, a corrugated, uh, corrugated pipe? Mm -hmm. And, and there are, there are camps where they're adamant about one way or the other. The thing I'll say about any home improvement related thing that you see on the internet is the answer is you might be right and you might be wrong because it's going to vary a lot based on your climate, your local area, your local restrictions and, you know, building codes and all that type of stuff. So, yeah. Um, If it's it's, PVC, how does water get in it? Like uh, it's got holes. So you have holes. Oh, okay. So PVC versus hold versus corrugated with holes. Uh, corrugated versus like a knife knife cut corrugated. So um, you can get corrugated that's got holes in it, or you can get it where it's just got little like knife like slits in it and stuff like that. Yeah, it's mm, okay. there's it's just like anything else. You can nerd out, and there's way too much information about all these things. But um, mm. if it if anyone cares, I'm using corrugated pipe because I have a lot of angles and turns and things to make, and I don't feel like dealing with. All right, PC. Brian's in that camp. But consider, I'm doing him, an, consider him firmly entrenched. I'm doing... Oh, yes. I picked up on that immediately, Drew. Thank you. <sighs> Thank you. You're welcome. That feeds my soul. I think I just, <laughs> I think I just gained like three days of my life with that comment. God. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Uh, um, yep, so that's happening. But we've had bad weather and stuff, so I have made almost no progress on the french drain now it's just a it's a french pit it's an open pit that water is falling into and uh it's like a foot and a half deep and if i if i drive my car off the edge i'll probably have to get a tow truck to get it out so that's uh would not be good so rachel's like can you finish this thing please and i'm like i will as soon as it's not snowing and 17 degrees outside so we'll see because that's quite literally what it's calling for this weekend so i don't know we'll see anyway no one cares um next on to micah so what i am getting is that brian's brain has two primary modes oh boy i haven't read these in advance i know i i don't know i just like it and let me deep dive research and explain every nuance from every angle for 30 minutes regarding this subject yeah, Micah, you're not uh, you're not too too wrong about that one. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but I just like your comment. <laughs> I just do. So I'm well done. On. Uh, and last one is from Diana. Now you have to make a ghost sticker. The unfinished business. The ink stains all over its white ghost sheets. I can see it. You know what this is in reference to, right? I have no idea. What is this? This was when, remember, you used, <laughs> it was one of the funniest things from last episode. We were talking about pen cleaning, of course, and you said, I'll clean my pens when I'm dead. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. Then, <laughs> That's and then right. I was like, I was like, wait, you can't do that. And then we just started going off on this tangent about how yes. you're going to come back as a ghost because you have unfinished business. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> And I think that um, our friend Crystal uh, also said that it was like the most random idea for a horror film ever conceived, but she would definitely buy tickets for it. Yes. <laughs> that would be a... You'd have to really stretch to make that something worth seeing. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I feel like the theme of this week's feedback was, do Brian and Drew pay attention to anything that they talk about? <laughs> I remember some of it. But I feel but, like we did really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> Anyway, it's good. all right. 
let's move it along. New stuff. All right, so we do have some new things. It's starting to trickle in, so that's kind of cool. So if you check gulepens.com, you can look at new arrivals, you can look at coming soon, and there will be some slightly more interesting things there than there have been in previous weeks. So that's cool. Um, first thing I want to talk about is the Ritma Carbon Fiber. Fiber. Or as Drew typed in the notes here, Ritman. That's what it says. It's the- <gasps> I did. It's the Ritman. <laughs> the Ritman. Um, the Ritma. So we've had this in. It, it's actually a been a surprising, maybe not surprisingly popular pen. It's been a popular pen. We didn't think it would be as popular as it has become because you know it's a it's a magnetic snap cap. You know, it's a straight barrel. We didn't know how how people would jive with that smooth grip. You know, metal grip. So it's got some things. that's like I don't know maybe not everybody's favorite components but i mean the pen's been very popular and it writes mm-hmm. really well too so anyway they're doing a um 2022 pen of the year which looks slick i mean it's carbon fiber with a gloss finish this is like what monteverde does like they are known for this they did their first carbon fiber pen over 20 years ago and so that's pretty cool that they brought it to the ritma and uh yeah gunmetal trim black nib it looks really slick, really stealthy. Definitely has that kind of sleek, like, uh, what's the, like that industrial kind of like, uh, you know, like people who are into like cars and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of carbon fiber and gunmetal, like that kind of thing. It's got that kind of vibe. Uh, 52 bucks for the pen. You can get it extra fine through 1.1 plus the OmniFlex nib if you want that. Um, yeah, and it's the special edition. So I imagine they'll have it around for a year or so. Um, I don't know exactly how many they're making. I don't think they're numbered or anything. I think it's just, you know, the pen's here, um, you know, and they'll keep it around for a little bit. But it's a slick looking pen, gotta say. Slick and sleek. Sleek and slick and sleek. sleek. And, slick and sleek. Yep. Exactly. And then I uh, got another one from Montegrappa, the Zero Samba. So this is a U.S. exclusive or North American U.S. exclusive. Not sure if it's all of North America or just U.S., but either way, we're in the U.S., so we have access to it. So it's um, uh, got a number six, Yovo nib, steel nib. Um, this is uh, The Zero is a pen that's been around for a couple of years. We have not carried many of them, um, you know, because it's kind of a niche thing, but, you know, it's a U.S. exclusive. We thought the color was kind of neat, so we thought we'd offer it. So um, it's, you know, the Samba color. It's like this dark green. It's got a really cool kind of, um, you know, I guess you call it a pattern. It's not really a texture. It's all smooth, but it's got like a lot of interesting color, kind of striated. Stri- striations. Striations, yeah, through the material. It's really neat. Um, it's different than your average, you know, kind of um, acrylic material. It just looks different. Um, I believe really they make this cool. at Montegrappa. I think that, yeah, this is a custom material that only they have, which yeah, is pretty stuff. pretty cool. And that's part, you know, it's a little higher price, um, but it's also, it's inspired by precision timepieces. So it has like a crystal bezel, or bezel, bezel. I don't know my I think watch so, yeah. terms. The bezel, that's the clear part that you look through, yeah. right? Or is the bezel well, the no, angle? Well, no, the, be, the, be, the, the bezel the metal is, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the bezel is the... That's the ring thing. around that. Oh gosh, I'm showing how much yeah. I don't know about these things. Um, but anyway, the case, you, the bezel, the yeah. If you know more than me about watches, you may be into this pen. So it, it looks pretty cool. It's got the mono, the newer Monograppa logo down in there underneath the crystal. It's pretty slick. So um, that'll be there. And then we have a new video, which is reviving an old classic. Um, we had the top seven pens to last a lifetime. We are refreshing it, coming out with some new pens that are coming out on that list. So look for that one. 
Um, yeah, should be should be out, right? Didn't we publish it? Uh, yeah, it's out. Today? It's published. Yeah. Yay! Um, it's out. The Wednesday. Zero uh, features a sapphire glass set in yes. a miniature bezel. Bezel. Okay, the bezel so, is the part that holds the glass. Yeah. It's usually like yeah. the angled angled part of the around the face of the watch. Yeah, the the ring, I guess. There's a way better way to explain it with probably yeah. actual accurate technical terms. I just don't know what they are. You said so. the right things though. Yeah. I was in the right zone maybe. I don't know. Um let's end this and move on to Drew. Drew, you have some things to talk about. Hey. <laughs> um the Peniter Back to the Future pen, which is a crazy unique pen, is getting a bit of a sequel. Not quite Back to the Future 2 with pink mm. hoverboards and stuff, but black okay. trim, which is, you know, the next best thing. So the already unique Back to the Future with its kind of stacked carbon look and uh, really unique capping and posting situation is now available in black trim previously it was only available in the kind of silver color trim so if you just want a whole blacked out back to the future this is your pen it's going to be available at 766 dollars and 40 cents nice and also i was gonna say it comes packaged with a giant book that's all about italian art and is only in italian so that's yeah that's cool it looks really neat it does look really cool. Hop over to the product page and read more about it because there is a lot to read about yeah. the inspiration about this pen um, and all of the, yeah, there's a lot of inspiration. This pen was made with a lot of intentionality. And, That's the uh, whole theme of like the Back to the Future that's talking about like going back to like the art history kind of thing that was happening. In yeah, Italy like the 40s. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're into that kind of vibe it's a futuristic looking pen that looks back at the past with art history that kind of thing that's the whole that's the whole vibe we're ter- explaining it terribly i feel like we're really off to a rough start on the pen cast today and mostly I my i feel fault. great drew's done great i'm i'm feeling great i'm just not using words well you're, you're doing great brian thanks you drew. look fantastic i'm just loving the light blue mm, just the yeah you like that teal, you like the hair? teal, teal yeah. on teal no this no, is my like yeah this is i uh, think I that i, I think that you should I have it on good authority that the uh, that the receding look is in. Um, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. is that the case? I've been told. Yeah, I've been told every okay. day. I look in the mirror and somebody tells me it mm. looks great. It has been said yeah. that that's it. Has the been look. said. Studies have yes. shown. <laughs> that's right. Studies have just right. All right, uh, and we've got two new Auroras coming down the pipeline. The uh, uh, successor to the or not a successor. Anyway, the next in the Trilobiti series which is a demonstrator Aurora 88 with colored trim. So the first one was a brown demonstrator 88, and this one is going to be a blue demonstrator 88. And it looks really I, neat. I think so the blue is a nice matte blue, including the nib. Mm-hmm. I would say which, that's a substantial, substantial upgrade in color you from the previous version. are not correct. The brown, mm. they wanted to start off strong. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and they have that. We wouldn't even be paying attention mm. to this if that brown didn't come first. So let's <laughs> wow. let's let's throw some respect on that. That one's going to be eight hundred ninety five mm. fifty. And then moving up in price range a little bit, we've got the Aurora Ambienti Tropic. So this is the fourth color in the Ambienti series following the glacier, the jungle and the uh, what was the other one? Coral. No, this is coral. Let's Tropic. Say, hold on. 
No. Tundra. 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 There you go. So we had three before. This is fourth. And speaking of coral, Brian, mm. the all, all of these pens have an engraved grip section with like a little symbol for the environment that they are inspired by. The mm-hmm. Tropic, mm-hmm. the new one, actually has a nice branch of coral engraved into it. The nice. jungle has a leaf. The glacier has a, an iceberg. And Makes the sense. tundra has a small little baby tree. They're all really cute, but... The pen itself is just, you hold it, and uh, what I like about these, Brian, is that it has that that feel. Like, when you hold one of these Ambiente pens, it doesn't feel like a pen. You're like, ah, oh, yes, well, we ha- this piece comes with, you know, this sort of trim. You know, you want to call it a, a piece. And when, when pens kind of have this, like, that this weighty prestige to them, it no longer mm. is just like, it's a pen. It's like, oh, yeah, yes, we we, uh, we have, you know, eight pieces of these, and... You know, this piece features a blank. I, you just want to say peace for some reason. Does that ever happen to you? Mm. It happens to me for sure. It's like a piece. Uh, it's like a, a museum, museum quality thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like how they call watches time yeah. pieces. So if yeah. you call a watch a time piece, what, is, what would you call a pen then? Is a, what, what piece is a pen? Is it like a writing piece? It's a writing piece, yeah. That sounds weird. Yeah. It does. That's why we don't say it. Um, but anyway, that one is uh, $1,165.50, so it Ooh. is up there. But uh, these pens aren't going to be around forever, and mm. if you take a look at them, you will see a lot of beautiful sterling silver trim as well as some gorgeous colors and unique engravings, as we said. So definitely something to take a peek at, even if you're not ready to take the plunge. It's pretty. It is pretty. And that's it for new stuff. Yes, it is indeed. There will be more. There will be more new things, but this is all we have to talk about today. That's right. Tell you what we are going to talk about next, though, is some Q&A questions. And we have a pretty random assortment. No central theme, really, of any kind on today's. No. Um, but yeah. So, uh, Drew, I think you uh, get to ask the first one, and I get to answer. I am. I'm going it. to ask you a question. This question comes to us from Noah C. Tench. Mm. Um, and Noah asks, well, he just says... I've heard lots about bullet journaling. What is it? What is it? What is bullet journaling? With a capital is. What Um, is it? Yeah, so we are not like bullet journaling experts, but we know enough to be dangerous. I feel like I can safely explain what it is. I know enough to really appreciate everybody else doing it because I, I, I can't. Yeah, like most things, we don't really know what we're talking about, but we can at least point you to other people who know what they're actually talking about. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's first off, I'll say there's lots of YouTube channels who like really focus on bullet journaling. So if you are just already on YouTube, just literally type in bullet journal and you'll find more than you can handle about ways to do the method and different inspirational things that people do with it. Um, but I'll explain the basics of it. So it's a, I think at, the, at its essence, it's a personal productivity method. So it's a system for organizing tasks, thoughts, ideas, dates, these types of things. Um, So the basic concept is you use a dot grid journal with a series of shorthand markings like bullets, dashes, X's, checks, that kind of thing that all mean something, some status of where that item, you know, lives in your productivity 
process, right? Um, and you can make it up to be basically whatever you want, but they give you some kind of guidelines um, about what to do. And then as you either accomplish those things or recategorize them to things to do at a future date or whatever, you can mark it and then you move it to, you know, kind of like roll it forward to the next page. So you, you're basically starting with a blank journal. You're taking an approach of organizing your thoughts, ideas, tasks, things like that. And then you're kind of developing the the journal as you go so it's a little different than like a day planner or something like that where it's very set format and you have it's super structured you are you are essentially kind of like taking an approach towards organizing your stuff but with a lot of flexibility to adapt it to to meet whatever needs that you have and that's largely why there's so much content out there about bullet journaling is because you know the original creator writer carol um, who has bulletjournal.com. He's got a YouTube channel and stuff like that. So he's got some really good videos out there that explain the very basics of bullet journaling and why he created it. Um, but he um, created this system really as a way to help him organize his thoughts and then you know hone that system over years and shared it with everybody. And it really kind of went viral. Um, you know, it's been around for hmm, six, seven years at this point, probably drew. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, after the first couple of years, it really started to take off. And now it's got a pretty good stronghold um, in the like planner community there's a lot of people who are into you know scrapbooking and you know urban sketching and you know various other kind of side hobbies that associate with you know kind of you know journaling in general that uh have kind of bled over into the bullet journal space you'll see a lot of people with like really artsy kind of influence into their bullet journals and then you'll see other people who use it much more as just like a no it's a it's a to-do list and you organize it so you can really adapt it and make it be kind of whatever you want it to be um but bulletjournal.com that's the um that's the site that that is the original um, and we also have a book uh, written by the creator, writer Carol. It's called The Bullet Journal Method. So that explains not only the bullet journaling, how it works, but also kind of the the methodology behind it and some, some you know, introductory kind of practical ways that you can start to use it. Um, you know, it's, uh, I personally don't have a great productivity system of any kind and I change them a lot. So I have made attempts at using the bullet journal with varying degrees of success, um, where it, you know, for me, having it as a mildly more organized to-do list um, is more helpful. You know, trying to, I basically have so many thoughts and ideas, I can't capture them all in one place. And so I use it more as sort of a filter. Like I will get stuff out of my head, put it onto the paper, and then kind of process it through my own very simplified bullet journal type process. And then mostly it kind of just lives there and I don't really go back and revisit it too much because I just have more ideas that keep coming into my head. So um, anyway, but it's, it's a good way to help capture it. It's a good way to, you know, be able to use your pens on a practical, like more daily basis because you can just keep a journal, a notebook with you. Um, you know, uh, Ryder originally collaborated with Leuchtturm and actually came up with a official bullet journal notebook. So it's a Leuchtturm journal it has three bookmarks it has the key in the uh you know open open back cover or the back of the what do you call this thing it's not the first page but the back of the front cover right the there's a word for this page right it's not an insert because there's not a wrap you're talking about the index yeah but like what's this called it's like the the it's the cover it's not an actual page it's glued to the back of the cover 
I don't know. I don't know book terms. But anyway, mm. it's there. It's like part of the book. You can't like tear it out. So it's, oh. it's a, there for easy reference for all the different like keys and markings and stuff like that. So, you know, just example, it's got like a bullet is a task. When you complete it, you can do an X. If you're moving it to a different page or a different part of the journal, you can migrate it. You know, all of the pages are numbered. So if you want to create an index. So there's like some basic framework that's in the bullet journal, actual product. Got some little tips there. So there's an index that you can write the page numbers. So if you like want to have a high level look at what's happening this month, you can create, take one page and you make it for February, like I'm thinking towards next month. And then I can just write down some of the things that I know are coming up in February. Well, then after that page, I can flip to February 1st. I can make a February 1st page and then I can know and reference back to the overall February page. But then, you know, so there's all kinds of different ways that you can go about it. Um, but that's the basic idea is you're taking more or less an open notebook and you are applying a very basic set of um, organization criteria and then just applying it to your, your, th- your thoughts. That's, that's, that's pretty much the basics. That's about as much as I know. Great. And I'll link both the Ryder Carroll <laughs> book as well as the Leuchtturm bullet journal in the description. So if you want to pick one of those up, you can. There you go. All right. Next question. This is from Cameron Clark. What other papers are we all using with Tomoe in limbo? I need new paper. Well, Cameron, I can't speak for what everybody is using, but... I've got a few go-tos that I can talk about. Um, my most often used go-to is a Rhodia number 16 A5 top wirebound mm. dot grid pad. Yes, Brian, I have wow. switched from staple bound to top wirebound because sometimes I just want to flip and keep whatever I have going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use the back? Do you use the back of your pages? I do for doodling. Yeah, um, okay. Once, once, once I've written on them, I just, I just, I like the, just to be able to have something to doodle on that I, that so, I and I don't want to waste paper. So I use the back of old notes to doodle I mean, on. So I'm kind of with you. Like I, I like the go-to is the, the number 16 dot pad. Mm-hmm. I love these obviously. Um, but yeah, kind of the disadvantage. It's great if you're just writing something quick and then you're kind of tearing the sheet off. But yeah, if you're trying to like actually keep a notebook like these things are not the great. Like these are meant to be disposable, and you tear out a sheet and go. More yeah, like and this is pad. this this is more disposable too. But I think that the it top is, yeah. wire bound allows me to revisit things and just kind of make use of more pages and not be as wasteful. With the Rhodia, mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, with the uh, staple bound. If you tear off a sheet, you got to actually just keep the sheet if you want right. to use the back of it for nonsense. And then you mm. just have a bunch of random sheets laying around. Now, with the wire bound, they're always there. Question for you: So those sheets are perforated excuse me, micro-perforated in your top wire bound there. Mm-hmm. Do you tear the micro-perforation or do you just rip it out like an animal? I, If I'm ripping it out like an animal, it's going in the trash. Then I'm, okay. I'm done. You're not keeping but if I'm, it. Okay. But if I'm saving it for some reason, then yeah, I absolutely use the perforations. I cannot So you stand. leave like the little extra like flap of paper with the rings like cut out of it? You leave no, that no, in the notebook? No, no, so Or do I, you tear um, like, okay, this is where I'm getting I, I, at te- I tear the whole thing out. It's okay. still got the, the, the gnarliness on there. And then I fold it over at the micro perforations and pull it off. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just yeah. curious. Like, if if, I anybody, do that. if anybody's got like a three quarter used up top wire bound with all of the like 
micro perforated like extra flat pieces no, still that in bothers there. me that bothers no? me and that's another thing mm. why i like the top wire bound not the top staple bound brian is because when i'm dealing with the top staple bound i probably have one around here somewhere um yes so, like there have been very few times where i've emptied a whole rhodia number 16 staple bound pad and have a clean you know clean exit every time i've pulled one off but most of the time it doesn't happen and i get this like wad yeah. of chunk on it and like just like i've got going on right at the top yeah here. and then yeah. that that just that upsets me so much because then you can't get rid of it unless you peel off layer by layer and what i find oh yeah. this this isn't our tip section yet but this will be a little bonus tip in here so sometimes that's hard to avoid but i find that if i if i actually press down on the binding when I tear it off, especially in the middle or like kind of towards the beginning where I'm starting to do the tear, if I actually press it down and compress it, that actually helps keep it from tearing mm. in the first place. It's not foolproof, but it's yeah. better. It helps it tear less. But I have moved on to the top wire bound, so that's my thing. Uh, my second favorite is the Nemosyne. Um, This is a B6 book. So this is a little bit smaller oh, than that's the such an interesting A5. Size. I know, but I, I you don't need you know a large side of it, it looks it's like a, be... it's like a steno pad it looks like a reporter pad right well, they have a reporter pad too brian so they've got the and that that's my other favorite so they've got <sighs> this one which is more closely related to this this is like a desk pad and then they've got the uh a b7 and then a7 i think let's see yeah a7 so the a7 is like tiny tiny it's like smaller than my phone but then the uh the a6 no the B7, sorry. The B7 is like a reporter pad. It's like the size of your phone. You can easily put it on the back of your pocket. I love that for just mm. taking notes. When we were all back in the office and actually having normal people meetings, I would keep one of those with me, well, before I got my little digital boogie board here thing, mm. um, and just take notes just to keep it in my brain, just mm-hmm. to have that that memory game so that I could remember you know, what I'm trying to connect and also to write down questions so I can wait for that opportunity. So I mm-hmm. love those. And it's really good quality paper. It's a little bit more, it's definitely more structured than something like a Rhodia pad because every page has a date and a number and then a title up at the top. You probably cannot see that, but um, yeah. Up at the top line, it has that and then it's just lined underneath mm-hmm. but it does give you a little bit of organization but it's not intrusive organization so it's not going to bother so, you if you it's, choose it's, to not use yeah. it it's suggestive but not forceful right right yeah. but it's not going to get in your way which i like i like about that because mm-hmm. you know you can write the meeting that you're having up at the top or just whatever ideas you're trying to come up with up at the top and it's it's there for you yeah. um but i will also like to mention that it's good to have like this is nice paper but it's not very absorbent so if you have a slow drying ink that might look really pretty flipping and closing you're going to get smudges so it's never a bad idea to have a book like Leuchtturm which is a little bit more prone to feathering and bleed through with certain inks but also dries quickly so if you shut that thing you're going to be at less of a risk for smearing and stuff like that which I like so I like kind of having them both Field Notes is also a great brand for that because yes there will be many fountain pens that just don't look good on that brand however it's a pocket uh, notepad. 
So if you're writing with a fine, with a well-behaved ink, it's going to be just fine. And you're not writing yeah. it to, you know, catalog and pass on to your children anyway. It's just, for, you know, a quick reference notebook. So I love those as well. And, you know, the, all of these have different applications. You know, you've got your nice paper that might dry, dry a little bit slowly but show off ink really well for your desk situation. And then more of an everyday book, which would be something like your Leuchtturm. And then you're on the go. I don't really care what this looks like. I'm just writing it down to remember it. Field notes. And those can also go in the rickshaw uh, koozie case. Fits really Ooh, nicely in nice there. Little, so I, nice I always have plug. Nice little plug I always, there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I have a field notes with me wherever I go. Um, and I don't care about the paper, paper quality because it does its job. Mm-hmm. And as far as Tomoe River goes, because Cameron did ask about the mm-hmm. future of Tomoe River, um, I, you know, explore some new paper options for sure. But also, you know, hang tight. I don't think. Tomoe is gone forever. There have been a lot of things to suggest that a worthy successor will be on its way at some point in 2022. Um, we don't know what that looks like yet, but you know, if you dig around on the internet, you can find some reviews and some images mm-hmm. that uh, suggest that uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, don't fret too much there. Yeah, we've heard rumblings. I don't. I don't. We, we don't know enough to really be able to say definitively how that's going to work out. But I mean, legitimately, it was like, yeah, it's it's going away. Like there was no alternative option. But I think recently we've heard rumblings like, no, somebody else is either picking it up or buying it or, or whatever. They it. Like they, they bought, bought it. it. They're 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 okay. working on actually, you know, getting production up and running. Yeah, and when that happens, like, it's going to be a different name, right? Like it's going to change the. We don't know that uh, right okay. now. They're just calling it Tomoe River Successor. I don't know how long that's going to last, but Work, um, working so title. we're just gonna, yeah. we're just going to stick with our distributor that you know brings us our Goulet notebooks. Mm-hmm. And when they say, "Hey, we've got a new type of paper. We're switching it over," we will tell you because yeah. you know that that's currently our stake in the matter yeah we know that that paper is used in a number of different products and i think we've talked about that in a pen in a past pencast um our Goulet notebooks we're going to have them for a while because we kind of stocked up so we're still going to have the previous whatever version of yep. tomoy river you know so whatever successor comes that successor will probably come out before our notebooks actually change over um i'm guessing but it's it's there's still too much up in the air we're not super plugged in to the um like the core of that that transition we're we're like kind of barely able to get more information than most other people but we're kind of scouring the internet and just keeping a close eye on it like you all are all right good stuff thanks drew yeah all right all right our next question comes to us from me here and they ask why do in some pens does in some pens ink need to be forced into the feed meaning it stops writing and you need to prime Mm -hmm. the feed using the converter or the cartridge or whatever yeah because this was one of my tips of the week right is you can Mm -hmm. like kind of force ink down um you know through the piston and uh and wet wetten wetten up your feed that's not a word wet wet up wet it up um wet your feed is probably the actual english way to say it um so i would say if all is well you shouldn't need to do this at all right it's basically like a compensation mechanism um you're you're basically working around inadequate flow um, which could be caused by a couple of things could be caused by some legitimate like defective things it could be caused by some preferential things um so you know the number one is like some kind of improperly tuned nib the tines often are too tight and it's just not flowing the ink through that leads to the tip from last week with drew where you can you know bounce those tines just a little bit 
spread them just a tad and get that ink flowing through. That will often fix that issue. But if you do that, then you really shouldn't have to be forcing ink down unless you have maybe some of the other issues, which I'm going to talk about right now. Um, one of which I end up dealing with on a pretty regular basis, which is a clogged nib or feed, usually because of a lack of proper pen maintenance. Or maybe you have some old ink or some old paper fibers or something like that that's kind of clogged up and it's just slowing things down, either in your nib, maybe in your tines, in your feed somewhere, your feed channel, and it's just kind of like the works are clogged up a little bit and the ink is just not able to flow through like it should. In my situation, it's not usually because I'm using one pen so many times and like paper fibers are getting jammed up in there, because it happens, like you're, you've got a metal nib that you're writing over top of paper, which if you look microscopically at paper, it's not smooth at all. It looks really, really like rough and gravelly. So there's friction happening. So you're creating static electricity through friction and that metal nib is attracting paper fibers and dust and everything to it. And then when you're writing and, you know, it happens over a while, but this is part of the reason why it's good, even if you're using the same ink, to just clean out your pen every few weeks, you know, with a, a, a quick flush of water, because you'll get paper fibers and dust and other things like that that will be, literally be attracted to your nib through static electricity. And those things can kind of work their way into the feed and build up over time because, you know, it just happens. Um, so, uh, over time, as that happens, if you haven't been cleaning your pen and it's not flowing properly, you think like you're flushing, you know, ink through the, the feed and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, man, this thing just doesn't write like it used to. Well, the nib and it may be tuned well and be perfectly fine. You just need to clean it out. So that's usually the easiest thing to do is like, whenever there's a flow problem, it's like clean your pen, just try cleaning your pen. That's the number one thing to always do. Um, and then look at some other things after that. Um, there are some inks, you know, this again is kind of a pen maintenance issue, I guess, but you know, it could deal with if you're trying with ink mixing or if you, you know, clean your pen a little bit, but not super thoroughly. There are different types of fountain pen ink that maybe don't play super well together. Um, you know, they don't have full MSDS sheets with all the specific chemical components of every ink. Or even parts of MSDS sheets. Or, or even really any, any information. <laughs> Other than water and dye yes. that we know is in these these yeah. pen inks. So, you know, it's pretty rare, but every now and then you can get some inks that maybe don't play so nicely together. They can, you know, kind of create um, some sort of mutant sort of liquid inside your pen and, and kind of gum up the works a little bit. Usually it's not to the point where it's like actually causing harm, but you know, it's like if you have an old pen and it, you don't know what ink it had in there and you just ink it back up with something else, you know, you could be you could be taking that risk. So again, cleaning your pen will pretty much take care of that. Um, another reason that this might happen is uh, nib size. The nib size might not be as broad as what you like have in your mind that you want, or maybe it's just like the ink writes a little more stingy. Like it might be flowing perfectly fine for what it's supposed to do, but you might just like want it to be doing something different. You might want it to be writing wetter. You know, I was in this exact situation literally with the first fountain pen I ever inked up. You all know that I am a fan of blue. I love deep saturated blue colors. And the first ink that I ever inked up was Diamine China Blue, which is like a periwinkle type color. And I wanted, I wanted it in my like 
visceral reaction. I wanted it to be darker than it just actually was. So I was like pressing down. I was trying to make the like the ink darker than it was actually capable of being. So sometimes that can happen when you just you just want it to be something different than it is. Well, you can flood the feed and you can get more ink down and sure you can kind of do that, but it's you know, there's a, a point where it's just not going to do anything different than what it's supposed to. Um, so when you're forcing that ink down, it does flood the feed. It makes the pen write wetter, but only for a little bit. And so you got to, it's kind of a temporary measure. You can get it flowing. If it's usually a situation where the ink is dried up and you, um, you know, need to resaturate it, sometimes just flooding the feed will be enough to kind of reconstitute the dried up ink that was already in there and it'll get flowing again and it'll kind of get it working. Sometimes that doesn't work if it's been really dried out or depending on how saturated the ink was, if there's a lot of dye that's kind of left behind, you might have to flood it a few times to kind of get it flowing again. You know, the more you use a pen regularly, the better, the better it's going to flow and the better it's going to work. Um, you know, if you're only using a pen once every two weeks, you know, and it starts to kind of evaporate out, you're not really flushing anything through there enough to get that consistent flow. That's where you need to just go ahead and actually do a cleaning. But if you're just, you know, flooding the ink down from the ink chamber, that's where it can help. It's, it's really a bandage. It's not a cure. Um, so I would say, you know, give the pen a thorough cleaning, try it again, see if it helps anything. If you need to, you know, with, with, you know, a deeper thing, not everybody has those brass sheets, but that's one of the things that we, that we carry for that reason is sometimes you get like paper fibers and stuff that get clogged up in your nib. You can floss the tines. You can do all these things. Um, but then, you know, ultimately, once you've done all these things, it might just be that the ink in that particular pen just isn't as dark as you want it to be or doesn't flow as wet as you want it to be. And that's where, like, changing the ink and, and trying out different things might help. So, you know, in short, you know, that there's a lot of different variables happening here. Um, but you don't need to force the pen down the, down the feed. It's just a hack and a way to kind of work around some of these other various things. And the more you use your pens and kind of test all these different things out, the more you learn kind of what its limitations are, as well as what you can expect from, you know, pens that are in kind of different statuses of use and, and things like that. Coming from someone who has to do this a lot because he never cleans his pens. And if uh, your pen doesn't cap or seal super well, it might dry out more, which would then lead True. to you probably True. priming it more often. And one other mm -hmm. thing I'll say is uh, on Brian's um, fact about just making sure that the ink is what you expect it to be. Mm. One thing that I have spoken to some people about is the kind of trick that your pen can play on you. If you just ink it up or it's been sitting for a while, you're going to get a more saturated flow. And then once you've exhausted everything that that feed has been really saturated with, then you're going to get the normal flow, which mm. is the flow that the feed is pulling down from the ink reservoir. And that's normal. But if you're not ready for that, it's going to look like, oh, no, something happened. It's not as beautiful and saturated as it was, you know, but that's that's totally normal. When a pen sits for a while, that feed gets really saturated. And, of course, if you fill it with the feed, if you dunk that feed into ink, it's going to be saturated for a while as well. You just have to work that feed out so you then establish the normal flow. But that's yeah. totally normal. Don't let it fool you. Yeah, one little note about that. So um, in the early pen days when I was talking to some, like, kind of like old school pen, like pen reps and stuff like that, that have been selling pens for years. They were always taught um, from like Parker and Pelican and some of the old, old, old school brands. Um, 
that uh, when you're filling your pen initially, especially with like a piston filling pen, like something that holds a lot of ink, you fill it all the way. And just exactly what Drew was talking about, your feed is going to be like fully saturated with ink. And then you're, you know, obviously it's going to write super, super wet, which you may or may not want. But then also it's more likely to kind of blob and, and do all these sorts of things when it's just holding just a ton of ink there. So what they actually you know, kind of promoted. And I, I don't know if this is in a lot of the pen, like literature that comes with certain pens or just how widely this is talked about, but they always said like, you fill the pen all the way and then you, you turn down the piston so that you get like two drops usually that actually drop back into the bottle from the pen and then you twist it back up. So what that's doing, you're, you're trying to get a full fill, you know, you're doing those two drops you know, which the feed is already completely saturated. So you're letting out those two drops. And then when you have that two drops worth that you are then screwing the piston back into the, you know, fill position, it's sucking the remainder of that extra ink out of the feed. And that's about, you know, it depends on the feed, obviously, and how much ink it's holding, but that's probably about where, you know, will be more of its natural state. So, you know, yeah, it's, no, people still do that. I, I've talked to a couple of people who still yeah, use that strategy. Yeah. It's it's more it's not really something that's like specifically like you must do it this way, but it's more of like, yeah, this is kind of a general practice yeah. of kind of how it's supposed or to be. Or you could blot. You could blot, yeah. That's more that's more what I end up doing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I do the blotting thing. Yeah. Um yeah, there you go. Boom. Lots of information about a very specific thing. But that's uh, kind of what this whole pencast is. All right, next question. This is from Yash. How about custom nib grinds and also DIY nib grinds? True. Mm, so you've a lot of the times, of, you've done some of this. Yeah, things. yeah, I have. A lot of the times on Instagram, I'll just be like, "Hey, what should we talk about?" I don't ask, actually say, "Ask us a question." So this is, mm. you know, I like it because I'm just going to kind of take this in my own direction. So Yash, um, I'm going to just kind of take this from an entry level perspective because a lot of people may not know what a custom grind even is. So a custom grind is essentially someone reshaping the tipping material of a fountain pen nib. Most fountain pen nibs have a iridium alloy or some super hard alloy at the tip of the pen that gives it its shape, be it an extra fine, fine, medium, or broad. That's all dependent on the size of that tipping material. Um, And when you reshape that tipping material, you can create a different type of line. If you make it really, really flat, then you get, you know, a ribbony italic line. If you, you know, kind of bring in the sides and you get some, what of an, you know, architect, which is the opposite. It writes, you know, really wide side to side, really thin up and down. You can just, you can do all sorts of stuff. And there have been all sorts of stuff done to these nibs to provide you with different writing patterns. Um, There are a bunch of different types. The most common one that you'll probably see is a stub nib or italic nib they kind of get used interchangeably sometimes technically a stub is a little bit more rounded than an italic but that doesn't really matter for this conversation um the conversation you were you and i are having i guess but the uh that's the most common one for sure and that provides a wide downstroke and a thin cross stroke an architect is the opposite very very thin downstroke very very wide you know left right stroke um the the best ways to acquire those are probably through someone at a pen show who's like grinding nibs right there it's not something that is super accessible it's not something that you know you can just kind of go get at the drop of a hat we have collaborated with a couple different nib meisters is what they're called or nib grinding professionals whatever you want to uh uh 
anyway, um, we have worked with Mark Bacchus over at nibgrinder.com and Gina Salarino over at Custom Nibs Studio. And we, every now and then, will uh, have them create a batch of pens for us with their custom grind, and we will sell it at our retail store. So um, you can always keep an eye out on the website. Mark has done Visconti's for us, and Gina has done some Pelicans for us, as well as some Diplomats for us so uh, keep mm-hmm. your eye out on that if we have any available i will link it below so check that out i'll have to do a little bit of checking on that um that's the overall what a you know custom nib is as far as diy grinds you know you're getting into some some serious business there and you're you could absolutely you are going to screw up your nibs if you uh, give that a shot with especially with the pen you already have so yep. just be wary if you do want to practice um the cheapest nibs you can find that uh, we have are the Noodler's non-flex nib. Those are uh, three fifty, three dollars and fifty cents right now. Anyway, um, so I would say buy a bunch of those. Get you know one of these nail files. You can get these pretty much anywhere. They've got three different. As you can see, I've worn the heck out of mine. They've usually got three sides. You know, coarse, less coarse, not so coarse, and you can use that to you know reshape a nib. My suggestion would be to buy a um a stub nib unless you already have one and literally just try to make one nib the shape of the other one you'll need a loop obviously that allows you to actually see what the shape is and just try to clone that a little bit look at why this look at how the stub nib is different than the normal nib obviously the normal nib is going to be a ball the stub nib is going to be just kind of a flat you know piece and just try to match it you know make one look like the other it's a you know tried and true example just like you know learning how to draw you know you you copy something off of another you know page or you know download a picture or something like that um so that's where i'd start just trying to copy that the stub nib is probably the easiest one to do unless you're just trying to like make a big ball into a smaller ball if you wanted to practice that you certainly could do that as well um, but there are actually a good amount of videos um, out there, with, you know, people talking about their experiences. We haven't made one because it is fraught, and um, it'll probably be a while before we ever make one. Honestly, we've talked about it, but to do yeah. it right requires time and expertise. That uh, we this that this is one of the things we don't compromise on is talking about nib grinding. We can, you know. You know, yeah. give our opinions that left and right about stuff we don't know particularly a lot about on the pencast. But when it comes to nib grinding, we're not. There are some things we will not uh, give you, um, you know, half-witted information on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just go slow and be prepared to ruin a bunch of nibs, especially if you start with those uh, three dollar and fifty cent nibs. They're medium fine nibs. They're not even an, a real nib size kind of. So, and there's probably not going to be a <laughs> it's lot a of real consistency. Nib size. Come on now. I mean, I. I I would be willing to bet you're not going to find impeccable consistency in the sizing of those, which is oh, fine for well, practicing. Okay. okay. Um, and, and we're just practicing. After you can do a couple of those, then the Goulet nibs that we sell are $14, $15, depending on whether or not you go with a number five or number six. So that'd probably be the next accessible option for you. And then uh, you can just kind of uh, go from there and practice on the more expensive nibs, but are probably mm-hmm. going to be you know a little bit more consistent. Yeah. So that's the that's the short version. Yeah. I mean... Nib grinding in general, like Drew and I have both done it. We've had some training around it. It's uh, it's very cool. It's very, like, when you can actually do it successfully, you're like, I feel like a superhuman. Like, I'm it's like, it's like, it's like metal. A, and <laughs> it's like when um, uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway, I have made fire, you know? It's yes. just, just, I have achieved greatness. Yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling. Architect. 
Uh, but largely that feeling comes once you've already ruined like 10 nibs and you absolutely. just like, you feel absolutely awful. And you're like, here's this $3 and 50 cent nib that cost me $50 to create with all of the nibs I've ruined to get to this point. So it's like, that is par for the course. That's going to happen. Um, there's actually, there's cheaper nibs that you can get like in bulk on eBay and stuff like that. I know like nib, nib meisters, nib grinders are pretty resourceful bunch and they basically all have to kind of like hack their way into it. Like I, I don't know anyone who's gotten into nib work that hasn't had to pretty much bootstrap their way into it. Cause there is no nib, school there's no like training program there's nothing official out there it's pretty much a trade craft that like you have to kind of either just like figure it out yourself or somehow get in with somebody who knows how to do it and train or you know whatever um but i know you know i hope i'm not causing mark strife by doing this but mark bacchus has been generous with his time in the past with us and i know that he tries to share his knowledge with others who are also like seriously interested in doing nib work. He re- he was the beneficiary of a lot of, you know, help from uh Mike Masuyama uh and uh Mike at Work I think is his uh is his website. Um but uh they're both very reputable, very um experienced and very busy people. So um very busy. Least, yeah, they may at least be able to point you in the right direction or give you some tips kind of along the way. But you know, if you're pretty seriously interested in it, there's a lot to learn and it's pretty rewarding. But it's the kind of thing that's like it's pretty hard to do it casually, especially on your own like nice pens where you can't just get replaceable nibs and stuff because you're you're definitely gonna screw up some nibs. So it's it's a tough thing to kind of just dip your toes in. But it is, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty fun. It is. The trick is, you know, obviously it's difficult to get that perfect shape. But the real challenging thing and the challenging and the thing that I cannot do Mm. is reproduce the same custom nib consistently. Mm -hmm. Like I've made an architect, I've made an ultra extra fine, you know, once and saying, okay, cool. I got it. Let me do it again. And I can't do it. It's like, you know, it'll take you know five tries to get that good one and i'm like yeah i got it and then it'll be like another five tries and i'm like why can't i and it just it it takes a a lot of discipline yeah to do that consistently and some people have and some people don't and i don't yeah and it's 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 tough because you really have to pay your dues i mean you really because especially because you're working on something so small like you're you're using a jeweler's loop that's like 10 to 20 x magnification and even still, when you when you get past like the general alignment and stuff of the nib, you basically can't see what you're doing at that point. You're pretty much having to go by feel and flow. So it's like you really have to understand what you're doing and how it's impacting things that are so small you can't even see it. It's it's kind of amazing and frustrating at the same time. But you just you basically need to put in like thousands of hours of practice. Yeah, this is to, another to one of those things it, to be able to do it. It's like golf, right? Like anybody can get lucky and smack a really clean drive. But if you're trying to play in the PGA tour, this is literally all I know about golf. If you're trying to play in the PGA tour, like it's a very elite group who can actually play consistently enough. And even then you see people just totally like whiffing it, you know, not whiffing it. Okay. But there are people totally just like having terrible rounds, even at the most professional level, because it's that hard to do consistently. I I think nib, nib grinding is, is, every bit as complex as golf. This is another one of those things that Brian and I know enough about to be super impressed with the folks that can do it well. Yeah. Like I, I, I did enough nib grinding and honestly, I need to, 
I really need, want to practice more. It's tough too. Cause like there's, there's all kinds of gear and stuff that you need to, you know, get as well. And honestly, even just knowing what equipment to use is half the battle, but the, um, yeah, I, I did enough of it to know like, Oh, cool. All I know now is exactly how much I'm never going to be able to invest the time to do this. Like I would want to. And it's kind of like, Oh yeah. Like I, I played a lot of musical instruments. I have played, I probably could play some of these days. It's been a little while, but like Rachel knows how to play piano. I took some piano lessons and I'm not super natural at it. And I kind of stopped playing because I was like, I could learn it, but the amount of time I would have to invest in practicing would be so immense. I would have to give up so many other things. Like, I just don't, I just don't know that I have at this stage of my life. I don't know that I have it in me. So I stopped and it's like kind of depressing. You're like, I can't really, you know, whatever. I can't really invest the time, but you know what? You're just, we all have to make choices, right? Whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So kind of uh how i feel about yeah. nib grinding but, so, but if you're yeah. but if you're interested in it give it a try with some cheap nibs and <laughs> we really sold if, you on it well no no like <laughs> if you and i are different brian but there's somebody out there that once they do it they're gonna do it better than we did and they're gonna like be way way more passionate than we Hopefully. were about it and then yeah. they will go so if you feel that passion that urge then go for it absolutely yes. if you try and you feel that fire like just keep stoking the flames buddy like yes keep at it because you know, th- th- this hobby benefits from folks like that for sure. Yes, and it helps if you're a, it helps if you're a severe introvert because you're going to be spending a lot of time by yourself, hunched over, wearing a loop, grinding tiny little things yeah. all day long. So if you like that kind of stuff, then you might you might enjoy it. All right, Drew, we have another question here. Yes, we do. Our final question this yeah. week comes to us from firewalker 114 sweet name and they are asking you brian is there an italic or stub nib that's small enough to be practical for everyday use small enough to be practical this is a little bit subjective i'm interpreting this as like the actual line that you're putting down not the physical size of the nib yeah yeah i would say that any nibs physical size is practical yeah i'm, I'm thinking that they're meaning like between mm-hmm. your average type of grid or lined yeah. paper you know some some stub nibs produce a very very wide line that's just uh yeah uh, what's yeah. the right word um uh mm-hmm. that word mm-hmm. for clunky or uh Mm. All right. I'm just going to shout it in a couple minutes. You go on ahead. Okay. Um, Yeah. So basically when you have your standard nib sizes, like the ball nibs that are all just like pretty much one size, no matter which direction you're writing in, extra fine, medium, broad, et cetera. You know, that's cumbersome. Cumbersome. Okay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it would come. There you go. We're going to have somebody in the YouTube comments be like, cumbersome. All caps. Okay. Um, and that's, that's it. Uh, so the... Um, Sorry. No. Totally <laughs> Just lost, ruined it. Totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> so like, you know, what what size actually is an extra fine, fine, medium, broad, etc.? There's some general rules, but it's kind of like, you know, women's dress sizes. It's very approximate in a general direction, but also open to much interpretation depending on the who's making it and whatever. Um, so uh, when you get into, you know, the stub nibs, 
there's usually something a bit more definitive 1.0 1.1 1.5 you know but even then it's like is that the actual line width on the page is that the line width at the the corners is that the width at the you know past the tipping or whatever like where is that number actually occurring and spoiler it's like, alert uh, they don't ever tell us and we don't yeah know. we don't really know i don't think they even know um you know but anyway so uh it's it's also somewhat approximate but whatever it's it's we've at least got a little more room to work with there like being able to tell a 1.1 stub or italic pretty easy to tell from a 1.5 or a 1.9 i'm going with like lamy's nibs that they have there because mm-hmm. a lot of people are familiar with those so i think as a very general rule we find that once you get into the 1.3 1.5 sizes that starts to get to cumbersome. be a tad cumbersome uh <laughs> for your everyday <laughs> rulings right like definitely too big for a five millimeter dot grid or a graph ruling it it kind of pushes the limits on your seven millimeter ruling, you know, which is like the American college rule, you know, European seven millimeter. If you get to an eight millimeter or above, like a Claire Fontaine has more of an eight millimeter, that's more of what you would call your, your, um, not college ruling, but the standard ruling in America. That's like what the, you know, elementary school kids and stuff use. Um, that's going to be the larger that you can kind of work with. Uh, but seven millimeter really helps to have that 1.1 or lower. The, weird thing is that basically you have 1.1 or like pilot has some 1.0s which are largely pretty close to the 1.1 um but there's really nothing finer than that that comes readily available from basically any pen manufacturer maybe with some rare exception um but i think that's i mean correct me if i'm wrong drew but i think a 1.0 or a 1.1 is about the finest stub that you're going to find without going with a custom grind um, I don't know if Nemasign's still around, but they had some 0.8s and stuff like that. Um, they did. They did. So I don't know if you can still buy those somewhere else. Uh, and then there is some, uh, there's a, a nib in the <laughs> Noodler's Art Pack nib assortment okay. that has some has some untipped nibs in it that mm. put down a really, really small um, italic line, but they're also okay. untipped and a little a little funky to write with. So... Yeah, I would say that okay. traditionally what we can say on our website, a Lamy 1.1 or a Pilot 1.0 usually would do the business. I think that yeah. uh, you'll find a 1.0 in Pilot's Plumix and then some Metros and then uh, do some, I think does the uh, 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 Prera. Prera has a 1.0 as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about a. It's Kaku, the same. Though. It's the same pilot. Same nib. nib. Yeah. Same nib. Available on these pens. different pens. Yeah. But yeah. So check check around there. I'll I'll put mm-hmm. some links in. Yeah. Very cool. Um. So yeah. I mean, I think if you have really small handwriting, mm, like then the ruling doesn't even really matter so much. You're gonna find that a bit cumbersome. Cumbersome. But uh, the um, you know, we've we've done some custom okay. grinds, like cu- some custom cursive italic grinds on like fine and medium nibs with Mark Bacchus and I think with with Gina as well. They've been finer than that. They are not super popular. Um, it's it's I would say it's one of the more popular custom grinds that people do, but in the grand scheme of things, still not incredibly popular because when you start to get, and I think this is the reason why modern manufacturers are not making stub nibs that are ground finer than like a 1.0 you know when you when you get to like a broad nib generally speaking you're about a 
0.8 millimeter or somewhere thereabouts, maybe 0.9. Medium nibs are like 0 0.7, 0 0.65, something like that, and they get smaller and smaller from there. So if you go to like take a typical broad nib and grind that to be a stub nib, you know, you're you're looking at something that is less and less dramatic from the cross stroke to the downstroke. So you're not getting something that looks quite as impressive. It's a little more nuanced and they're going to be a little less forgiving because when you have these stub nibs, if you over rotate your hand one direction or the other, you're not going to get good contact with both of the tines because of the shape of the tip of the stub nib. And so it's going to it's going to be less forgiving and when you have those finer nibs it requires you to really keep those pens in specific contact with the paper otherwise it's going to feel scratchy it's going to write dry these types of things and i think you know probably at some point in the past these types of nibs were more readily available there were probably so many complaints and warranty claims and stuff just because people you know just were not really used to them or didn't appreciate the finer you know the very, very slight variance you'd get in the cross and the downstroke, you know, and so manufacturers are probably like, screw it, this is not worth the trouble. <laughs> we'll just make them a little wider and then it feels a little better and it's more dramatic and it's fine. So it's pretty much relegated these days to the realm of, of custom grinds. Um, but, you know, you can you can get some pretty interesting, pretty, pretty cool line variation with some finer stubs. Um, and, and then there's a side note, stub and italic and all that. Technically, they mean different things, but most people, most manufacturers use those terms interchangeably. No one produces, mass produces anything that's not a stub, basically. Stub is more rounded on the corner, so it doesn't scratch quite as much. So you get a little less, little less definition on your cross stroke. Um, you know, if you go with a, what's known as a cursive italic or a crisp italic, crisp is like very sharp. Um, you can actually cut paper with it, but you get very crisp lines, but basically nobody enjoys writing with a crisp italic so you are you absolutely have to get that custom ground which is why we couldn't sell the uh, aurora ypsilons yeah exactly so if you go if you go too crisp you know people don't really understand they don't really you know do it but everybody just calls it stub italic whatever but it's basically all yeah. stubs so there we go all right drew i think we think we no i think you, i think you said it really done. well totally awesome. agree well done all right we got a new tip of the week for you all this will be a quick one um, this is a paper related tip, paper and ink related tip, I guess. How about um, that? Yeah. So, um, you know, basically we talked about bullet journaling and, you know, productivity planning and these types of things. Um, you know, Drew mentioned some different papers that have different dry times and things like that. So one of the things that can be kind of tough when you're writing on the go, you know, specifically if you're writing with like your traditional, you know, kind of bound journal that you are going to be writing on it, closing it up, taking it with you you know, writing quick notes. If you're like me, you love broader nibs with really wet inks, but they require a little more time to, to dry on the page. Or if so, you want to use something like Claire Fontaine, which shows up color beautifully, yes. but dries a little slower. Or you're like me, you like using, I have the, the Goulet notebooks with the Tomoe River paper, Ooh, which has yeah. like the longest dry time in the world. And you love using shimmering inks and really saturated things like that well i will like write a note and then i'm like walking around like this with my notebook for two minutes while i'm waiting for it to dry as i'm like <laughs> you know and i look like i'm like okay what's wrong with that guy and i'm like i just don't want my ink to smudge um so a little hack for that it's kind of like a like a two-pronged hack a double you know you're you're knocking out two things with one like a sausage solution. fork uh, um uh spork yeah, like a sport. No, like one of the long barbecue 
Oh, okay. Prongs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can like get, grab two things with one. Okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't know where we're going with that. Um, so anyway, you take a sheet of blotter paper and you can use it not only as a bookmark, which you can just kind of stick it in there, but also when you have a blotter paper, which is basically just a really absorbent piece of paper. So you can use whatever really absorbent piece of paper you want. It doesn't technically officially have to be blotter paper. Um, the blotter paper that we have is the Urban blotter paper that, yeah, sure, it's blotter paper, but like there's nothing more special about that blotter paper than you can get basically anywhere else. Blotter paper, I think, is probably one of the, the more specialized papers that are pretty readily available most places because you're, you know, it's basically its job is to be really absorbent. So it's easier to make probably than most other types of paper. Do you think that uh, for, for the parents out there that construction paper would be just as effective? Probably, probably, probably. If you have a it's, really... it's bigger and... Maybe it would be interesting to test like which... Because like, I know I've got plenty of that in my house. Well, you know what, Drew, you should try some and report back. You like I'm like assigning that to you, even though I totally have construction paper here too. But I think Drew is going to be inspired mm. to do this. Um, Thanks, buddy. Yes, but anyway, if you have if you have actual blotter paper, it's nice because it's not so absorbent that you could actually have it absorb and then it smear on somewhere else, you know, or like it spread the ink, you know, into other parts. I don't know. That would be an interesting test to see like what papers can you actually use as blotter paper, but. Whatever. Actual blotter paper is used for blotting, so I say, that's why I say that. So anyway, use whatever absorbent paper that you find fitting. Um, you can not only use it as a bookmark, but then basically if you keep it, and especially if, like, this is actually not blotter paper. This is a, a card. This is stationary. So I'm faking it here, okay? You caught me. Don't ask me. This is literally like a, it's like an, a Crown Mill special order card thing that we bought years ago. Uh, but anyway, so if you have something more absorbent, you it helps if you have something that fits more to the size of the whole notebook because then you can literally just like stick the whole thing in there and basically wherever you write on the page you can write whatever you want it can be wet on the page and then you close it it absorbs the excess ink into the blotter paper and then you don't have to worry about it like smearing and imprinting onto the other page unless you like dump it on there so thick that it goes through the blotter paper i guess theoretically that's possible but i've not really had that happen. And even still, it's going to be way cleaner than if you had dumped it on there and then not use blotter paper and close your notebook. So it's a nice little hack that is super simple. It acts as a bookmark, makes it easy to find where you last wrote in it. And it makes it so that you can just run and gun, just write notes on the go. And then you really don't have to think about it. And you can reuse that same sheet of blotter paper like over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And uh, yeah, it's a great little tip. So blotter paper as a bookmark in your notebook on the go. Tip of the week. All right. There you have it. <laughs> All right. This week, we have a pen spotlight, which I guess is what we're calling this now. We changed this from our pen of the week. Now it's the inconsistently done pen spotlight as we feel inspired. Yes. And Drew felt inspired to do one and was like, hey, Brian, if you're so inspired, why don't you throw one in here? And I was like, you know what? think i will so we got two different pens for you that we're going to talk about yes indeed i was talking about flex pens recently in a pen cast and now someone a couple people pointed out that some of the flex pens weren't actually flex pens but that's very subjective and a lot of what we sell some the vendor says that they're flex but we don't think they are so Mm. whatever i had i I made a list sorry Mm. um anyway in that list i put the pilot falcon as my number one Mm. and 
turned off the pen cast, shut off the camera, and I just sat and pondered, man, the pilot Falcon is cool. And I just started thinking about that. I want to talk more about the Falcon, Brian. So, oh, you okay. know, I like flat top pens. I have no time you do. You do. for rounded really do. cigar shaped pens. That is, yeah, just in like my that, opinion, that just is like that, that, is, that, is, that sailor pen of the year that you've fallen in love with. That's a, oh, hey, wait. okay. Oh, wait. That, that's not a flat top. Wait a all minute. Right, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm just getting anyway, you are definitely a flat top dude. I'm definitely yes, and I and, def, and if this if this if the pen of the year came out as a pro gear, you know, oh, hey, you'd, be all, you'd be all over that. Yeah, come on now. All over anyway, that. Pilot Falcon flat top pen, classic design, timeless look, and the feed profile with the nib is one of the most like you could look at that nib profile and know instantly if you just saw the shadow of that nib and that feed, you'd know it's a Pilot Falcon. Mm. There's nothing else like it. It's just... It's like, it's, it's like Michael Jordan's head. What? Yeah. You think you could notice Michael Jordan's head if you saw a shadow of it? It is... It is it's actually something that I learned in college. Granted, this was a little while ago in marketing classes, is that the outline, the silhouette of Michael Jordan's head was one of the most recognizable like people like head shape things at least at at its at its time in like the 90s and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, just look it up. Just google it or something. Michael Jordan. Okay. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it, but he just had a very, you know, I it was probably just marketing, you know, but it was actually the shape of his head, but yeah. Anyway, okay. you know, just like the silhouette of like his ears and his bald head and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so many people recognize that as like, oh, that's Michael Jordan's head. Anyway, right. this has nothing to do with anything. But all that to say, the Falcon has a very distinctive shape to its nib, as Drew's pointing out. Yes. Don't make me think of Michael Jordan's head when I'm looking at this gorgeous pen. Not that Michael Jordan's head isn't gorgeous. I just, I don't, don't. The Falcon is its own entity, and it is gorgeous without the Michael Jordan head association. Anyway, um, I love the little inlaid um jewel goldy gold silver thing that they put in the top of the cap that's something mm-hmm. that i don't think a lot of people know about it's a nice little nice little it's detail a nice there little, it's a nice little touch yeah um, I, don't, I don't know the name for that are you you know i've called yeah. that i've called that little piece a, a cabochon before which i think is like it's a jewelry term but i don't know if that's yeah specifically i think we got first to like jewels inside i think we got top. corrected last time you said that but maybe I, it's right this time probably, i don't know i don't know an inlay it's like an inlay an inlay in the top of the a metal inlay yeah. But one the, the thing I love the most about the Pilot Falcon is that it is, in my opinion, the softest, most pleasant writing experience you can get in a modern fountain pen that also provides reliable flow. And that's if you're just writing with it normal. You're not trying to overstress it or anything. But the Falcon writes um, like, like a pilot should, like pilots are known to write with their consistency. And the Falcon does that. If you are expecting it to do a bunch of crazy stuff, then like, Hey, that's on you. You know, they, but as far as actual, just a satisfyingly comfortable writing experience, I don't know if you're going to get better than the Falcon, Brian. I really don't. It is just a beautifully smooth writing experience and it's Mm. consistent. The only downside in my opinion is that, um, it's insanely difficult to remove the nib in the feed. If you do get it gunked up and you do need to give it a little bit of toothbrush action, can you cannot get a grip on that done. thing. It's oh, tough I've, to get a grip. It's I've you got done that it, but swoopy, yeah, you got that swoopy feed. There's no, it is. There's no, it grip. is. There's nothing yeah. to grip. And, and I've, I've done it, but I don't like how 
much I have to grip it that freaks me out because it's such a delicate nib, this delicate gold mm. nib. And so that's that's the only downside, you know. And uh, as as much as I don't love the mechanism of the Con 70, Brian, it would mm. be nice if the normal Falcon could take the Con 70. I don't know why they made the metal Falcon just a hair longer so that it could take the Con 70 and the regular one can't. That is that, a good that, question. That, that, that irks me just a little bit because mm. you could just, you know, syringe fill the Con 70 and you would have a little bit of extra incapacity. But, um, yeah, mm. for me, the Falcon doesn't get enough love for just its normal riding experience. Just a little bit of bounce because I, I honestly wouldn't use it for any sort of flexing. I just like the feel of it, and I think it is yeah. a tremendously delightful experience. Speaking of the Metal Falcon, Recently, I remembered that we used to have a brown metal falcon, Brian. Do you remember that thing? That was a thing. That was a it thing. It was. And yeah. really, you know, you've, you've had 10 anniversaries to provide me with, you know, or to reward me with a brown metal falcon. And I just, you know, I don't know why that reward, hasn't happened. Reward you. Where's my reward <laughs> for putting up with you for 10 years? All <laughs> hmm? oh, right. Um, but... <laughs> That, that's it. That's it. Oh, you haven't always been such a diehard like I must have every brown pen. I feel like <laughs> no, that's kind of new. It's like the last couple of years thing. No, it is the last couple we years. had that brown pen. Well, you know what? I think the first. I'll tell you what the first one was. The first yeah, what, brown what pen. I just. It, it started with the brown diplomat excellence. Um. Yeah. Like I don't even know if we carried that one. Why I think that it was when one? we. That's like not I don't know. even. I don't know, man. It was love. At, it was love at first sight. Like I a, think that, isn't that just like a flat brown? Like it's not even. No, no. The, the, the excellence has this has this gravity to it. It has this majesty, and it, the, the brown mean? was extra majestic. Different but I remember moment. seeing that pen. I think that uh, I think that um, Ken brought it by when we were. He was like saying, "Hey, you want to you want to carry a diplomat?" And I saw that. I'm like, "Oh, that pen." And I'm, then you know, I'm uh, oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, yeah. A kind of, that's a nice looking brown. Yeah, it is a nice looking brown. I was thinking it was like I a don't think we flat fuddy duddy looking brown. No, this I is, don't think this we picked cool. that one up. I think when we launched Diplomat, we said no to that one, and the excellence didn't do, do well anyway. But yeah, we were that, like, this thing looks like a polished turd. This is that was the first one. That, that was the first yeah. one. Actually, no, it was the brown vanishing point. We I like that one. one. I, I like that one. Long time ago. Anyway, that one is that one is more of just a straight up plain. Brown. It is. It is. The it excellence just looks, has a little more shine. It's got a little yeah, more excellence. Yeah, excellence really knocked me off my socks. Off my socks. Out of my socks. Whatever. Knocked you off um, your socks. Anyway, I've also been writing okay. with my three new seasonal inks, Brian. Oh. So I've been writing with Seasons Greetings by Diamine, Winter Miracle by Diamine, mm. and Noel also by diamine and i will say that i am loving winter miracle even though it has a little bit of shimmer um it has a lot of sheen and it doesn't have a ton of shimmer brian it's not clogging the vac 700 is it a just a like a little hint of shimmer like a gentle shimmer it is a gentle shimmer yep a light light dusting yeah that's right just like Mm. a winter miracle uh after a weekend it takes a little bit to get going Okay. But nothing, nothing severe. Just, just some time and a little bit of light shaking. Okay. okay. Um, but the uh, season's greetings is okay. It's a little dark in this pen, um, mm. so it doesn't show up the color a lot. It's like really dark, but I also kind of like that because it's it could be professional. And then the Noel, I like the color, but I picked a Sailor Extra Fine nib to put it in, so I'm not getting any of that sheen that uh, I, it, it's famous for. So, in retrospect, instead of matching it with my red pen. I should have just picked a nib that it performed better in. So that's on me. I was obsessed with I going mean, red you, on red. You know these things. You know. But yeah. 
sometimes you have to remind yourself and you, you're like, mm. maybe it'll be different this time. You're like, no. Yeah, I shouldn't fine. look for Sheen and an extra fine from Japan. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a lot to make that happen. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Please, pl- please talk about this pen that you put on the notes here, Brian. What the heck? Do you even understand anything that I put in the notes? I mean, I, mean, I, I remember <laughs> this brand, but this is like, why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know what? Okay. So I have a lot. This, I, I don't even know how to set this up. So I have a lot of I have a lot of prototype and perspective pens that we, you know, get to test or could carry, but we're just not sure and all these types of things. Generally, we don't talk about these things a lot because it just confuses everybody. We often don't have a lot of great information. We're just trying to initially vet them, and by the time we actually talk about them in something like a pen gas. Then like people get half information and they email our team and our team is like, the heck are they talking about? And they have to come back and ask me and it just creates a lot of confusion. But that said, I'm just going to do it anyway. So, um, I'm confused already. Congratulations. You, I don't even know how involved you were in any of this. This is, this is a couple of years ago. So basically we met with, so it all, it all began when we met with a Toya, which is the U S distributor for sailor. So we were, you know, reestablishing relationships with them obviously excited about sailor and tachi and some of the other things pen Lux and stuff and some of the other stuff they do well they have their own kind of like in-house pen that they developed and we we're like well this is interesting we'll kind of keep this on our radar maybe see how it goes it's not like a bullseye type pen for us but we thought it was interesting and i've just like had it around you know my house for a couple of years and i just pulled it out the other day and i was like you know Maybe this is something I, I literally don't know if there's anything anybody gives two hoots about, but I thought I would at least talk about it in the open format of the pencast. I was like, Maybe you're killing me. What's the pen? So, um, it's kind of two different things. Oh so I got to talk God. about it a little bit. No, no, no. I'm not trying to overly complicate it, but it's, it's not the simplest thing to explain, but once I do, you'll, you'll make sense. So the, the actual pen itself, Drew, you may remember this. Do you remember the platinum ticks? Do you remember this pen? No, I remember the Platinum Studio. So the Platinum Studio we carried, the Platinum Ticks, which is, I get what they're saying, maybe ticks, like tick, like a tick mark that you would make, but ticks are like the things that give you diseases and stuff like that. It's T-I-X, T-I-X-X, I think. Oh, good. It's just really confusing. And it sounds like the tick, like the bug that gives diseases and stuff in this area and like that is just not an appealing name. But anyway, it's it, it's like a pile of varsity. So it's a disposable fountain pen. It's plastic. It's, you know, the whole body's filled, like eyedropper sort of fill. You know, it's got a pretty plain nib, you know, one nib size, that kind of thing. They sell it in blue and black. We already had the varsity, so we were like, well, we'll just stick with the varsity. We never picked up the, the platinum ticks. Um, so that is not the actual pen I wanted to talk about. But um, so Itoya has... Okay has a version of the pen that's very similar to this. It's a disposable pen. And um, I actually don't have the um, the disposable pen cap part. Um, oh, yes. This is, you know how you have the, the, the Sherpa, which is like a metal body that goes around a Sharpie. So like the inside, like the actual pen part is disposable and you can do that. But like the Sherpa, we've never carried it, but I've like seen it around and stuff. But you got like the metal shell that's made to like dress up you know, your, your disposable pen. So, um, Itoya has a pen called the blade, which is 
in effect, very similar to that platinum ticks. The dimensions are close as well. Very similar to a pilot varsity, which we do carry, though the dimensions are slightly different. I'll talk about that in a second. So essentially you have the blade, which the Atoya blade is a, is a pen we could carry. It's very similar to the pilot varsity in a lot of different ways. It looks slightly different, but it's a disposable pen. It's not that, that different. Um, they have a couple different colors and so on. Um, but the, the shell body that goes around it kind of dresses it up. It just, it kind of fits in there. You screw the back on, it's got a little spring in the back there. So it kind of holds it in place, you know, and it's, it's a nice like brushed, uh, aluminum, you know, it looks pretty classy. It's called the Paper Skater. So the Paper Skater Galaxy, I guess, is maybe the black one or something. I don't know. I don't know all the details because, again, it's a perspective thing and I only research it so much. But, um, you know, it's it's cool. It makes it like a very robust pen, you know. But these disposable pens like the the, the Varsity and, and the Atoya Blade and all that, they actually write really well. Like they punch above their weight class to go with a boxing analogy. And so um, to me, it's not like oh, it's just a crappy pen with a nice body. It's like, no, it's actually a very decent writing pen with a large ink capacity. But if you wanted a nicer kind of like dressing for it or a more durable body, you can still have the disposability interchangeability of the base pen, but you have a little nicer kind of like capsule to carry it around in. So that's the paper skater. Now, um, we don't carry the Itoya blade, nor do we carry the platinum ticks. So for us, it was like, well, if we do this paper skater thing, like I've already had to explain too much here. It's so weird. It's meant to be a very simple concept. And I think like in office supply stores and stationary shops and stuff like that, you can have them out and you, it's like a little easier to grasp. But like over video here, I'm like having a way over explain everything. It's just a disposable pen with a nicer shell that you can put it in. That's basically, I should have just said that from the beginning. But um, <laughs> because we don't carry the, the, like the two pens that it's more made to fit, I have to way over explain it. Um, yeah. But I did find that it will actually fit a Varsity. The, the Varsity itself is a little shorter. The body is a little shorter. So when you, when you, you do it in there, you know, if I were to just screw it right on, then... You know, it kind of like shakes around a little bit, just like maybe three or four millimeters. So mm. what I did just to be like, well, I wonder if I just shove something in there. So I just like balled up a wad of tissue and like, oh, if I shove that in the back, then that fills up the extra space and then it works just fine. And I can pull the tissue out if I change the pen. So you can hack it to be whatever, or you could put a longer spring, whatever. So still fits in there. But like the important part is like the diameter is the same. The, the, the seal seems to be close enough to where I can still cap it. And it feels totally normal if I jam that little, you know, tissue in there, but that's just like one more thing to have to explain to people. It's not, it's like so many hacks now at this point, I have no idea. So anyway, the concept is, I don't know. It's something there's, you know, I've seen this with like the Sherpa. Granted, we don't sell Sharpies. This is definitely a little more in like the office supply and the art supply space than what we typically deal with, with for like hardcore fountain pen people. So this is why we didn't pick up the pen a couple of years ago. It's an interesting concept, you know, but the MSRP on this is $39.99 or something like that. So, you know, with a, you know, street price kind of discount, like it- the $32-ish dollar range comes with the pen, the disposable okay. pen inside there, which is like four bucks or so. But, you know, it's like, 
I'm thinking about like we had the Platinum Preppy and then we had the Platinum Plazier, which the Plazier. It kind of reminds me of the Plazier, yeah. Yeah, it's got kind of that vibe, but it's like twice as expensive as a Plazier. Yeah. So it's like, it, to me, it wasn't a bullseye. The concept is interesting. I just don't know if it has mass appeal and it's a lot to explain. So anyway, I just, I guess, felt like explaining something very kind of overly complicated. But this is the kind of stuff that we sometimes get into when we're testing products. And we're like, ah, I don't know. Like, how do we even get feedback on this without over explaining? And then we can't really get it in people's hands and get feedback unless it's a whole thing. And I don't know. We'll kind of see. And then we just kind of never revisit it. But, um, you know, I picked it up and I used it. And I, I, I partly am talking about it because the, the actual writing of the pen. I had not, I had not picked up this pen and used it in probably two years or almost two years. And when I uncapped it and used it, it started right away. What? So that was very impressive. And I have had experiences like that with these disposable pens, like the varsity is the one that we, that we, you know, carry the most. And I've had similar experiences with the varsity. They just, as long as you know, they just stay capped and they just, there's so much ink in there. They just never really dry out. And they're just extremely reliable writers and surprisingly smooth and consistent and, and stuff like that. So part of it is like, I don't know why the varsity doesn't sell better than it does because I mean, it sells okay, but it's not like, I don't know. I guess people get more excited about the nicer looking pens, which makes sense. But like, I don't know, these, these disposable type pens, are just such great pens to give new people that don't know anything about fountain pens. Cause it's like mm-hmm. here, literally take this pen and write with it like a normal pen. You don't have to learn anything about anything else. And it's like, wow, this feels really smooth. And this is kind of nice. Like that is the quickest way to fuel inject the fountain pen writing experience. You know, you can sit with somebody with like a really nice pen and kind of coach them and talk them through it. Like a, you know, Twisby and here's how it feels. And, and they're like, Oh, okay. They kind of get there. But if you're literally just like, here's a pen, like good luck out in the world trying to navigate this on your own. Like these disposable pens are just the safest and easiest way to do that. Um, so I'm a big fan of them, but you know, we don't, we don't sell gobs and gobs of them, but you know, I was just, I was interested, like, would this help get this into more people's hands? I don't know. Cause now you're talking about a more premium price for a disposable thing. Maybe it's like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I don't know. I'm just curious to get feedback on it. So I've had good experiences with the actual writing of these disposable pens, but I don't know how I feel about the nicer dressing of them. So I kind of wanted to just talk about it a little bit to get some feedback from you all, our very dedicated, you know, turkey hammock approaching audience here as we get towards the latter part of our pencast so let me know what you think in the comments please don't ask my team about it don't email everybody because they will not have a clue what you're talking about because drew as much as he's been here and is close to me had no idea what this thing was and uh, I, really I remember now i remember I, now yeah it says jogging your memory we didn't talk I didn't, about I didn't, it like super in depth i didn't the remember the platinum ticks that the, i had no idea pl- about but platin- i remember the blade platinum, i remember the blade platinum the, uh, ticks sorry yeah. yes platinum ticks <laughs> I, I do I do remember playing around with the paper skater. That thing's weird. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I love it or hate it. I started off hating it, but then you started talking about it. I'm if like, it, that's actually cool. But now I'm thinking it, I'm... Ha- if it had flat tops, would you do you think you would love it more? Mm-mm. No. Anyway. No, I think it bothers me. Fair enough. Fair but, enough. But I kind of like it too. I know. It's kind of... Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. It's very unique. It's very unique. I don't know. 
I'm I'm very mixed. I would love y'all's feedback on it, especially given the price. That is a very important factor. I think if there's like, if that thing was twenty bucks, it would it would be like yeah, that yeah. I could get excited about. But it's yeah. like forty bucks is a lot. Like you're you're I could get yeah. You, I mean, you you're talking get about a, brushed aluminum with anodizing and stuff. Like I understand why yeah. it costs that, but but I could you could also get an the, eco or you know a safari. yeah that's the thing. Like is the is the benefit is the value there? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. That's a tough one. It's a tough, one. a tough one. It's a brainer. Yeah. It's not a no-brainer. It's a brainer. All right. Moving on. Let's talk about what's happening. Oh, my gosh. We got some things happening. Y'all, if you... It's... Yeah. This will be an interesting one. We got some things happening. I'll let Drew kick Um, it (laughs) So I got my fireplace redone at home. So that was great. And then... So we got some, like, stone put in because it was this old 90s-looking wood thing. Mm. So that got ripped out, put some stone in there, some white stone. But Mm. the wall was also kind of like this yellowy off-white that was there when we bought the house. So that didn't look good against the white. So it was like... Power clashing going on there? It was was not... the, the, The white stone wasn't contrasting. So we were like, let's paint this wall gray. So I painted okay. this weekend. Hey, um, did not you. make a mess. So didn't get any on the dog like I did last time. Um, so hooray for me. <laughs> and actually, she got it on herself. It wasn't my fault. She just, she got near something she should have got on. Yeah. Um, anyway, speak, so that, that went well. Hooray for that. Speaking of the dog um, and a duck, uh, apparently. So my, my remaining dog, sadly, I only have one corgi these days, but little little toy mallard. Uh, playing with a dog upstairs in the hallway and i'm throwing it around running back and forth this dog's really bad at playing by the way my previous dog ollie like he fetched and dinah is kind of dumb and just kind of followed him around barking so what she does is play bad ball which means i throw the ball and she runs at it and barks at it and then i try to get it away from her and if i'm <laughs> constantly trying to take it from her she'll kind of play the ball but but she's bad at it mm. so you have to be really engaged with her to play because she just doesn't know what to do. She's so dumb. Um, but to be fair, the previous dog kind of hogged the toys. She's a, so she's a, she's a sweetheart, but she is she is she she's is, delightful and and, and much well behaved than the previous dog too. So it, it's 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 you know she balances yeah. it out. But anyway, got this duck. I'm playing with her. You know, tugging it back and forth, trying to get her like excited, like oh oh come get the duck. You know, because you have to engage with her because otherwise she's just like I don't know what this is. So <laughs> as I am a, you know, sometimes overly energetic individual. I'm playing around with this duck, swinging it around, and I just swing my head as hard as I possibly can into the side of a door frame. Um, So I have this nice, let's see, where is it? Right there. I got a nice, you know, um, know, head wound. um, And I fell over. I'm like, oh, my God. And my wife's like, what did you do? I was like, I just hit my, slammed my head head against the wall with my entire body's upper upper torso strength trying to play with the dog with a stuffed duck so that was fun did that um and uh and yeah and i painted oh also we started watching um succession uh season two because we'd watched the first it's an hbo show um with uh Hmm. brian cox and a couple other actors um uh you you would probably know him he was in troy he played agamemnon uh he was in uh, at least one of the x-men movies he was in uh, brave uh he was in braveheart a while ago he was like the 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 uncle that um i saw uh, braveheart he was the uncle at the beginning with like the one eye anyway you know him if you saw him he's he's super he's super famous um but anyway uh the show is just impeccably acted. Every performance is um, stunningly good, and I hate it. 
Like, it's such an amazing show. It's so well done, but I hate every character. It's kind of like Ozark, where you never want to watch it, but um, then at the end of the show, you're like, that was really good, but I don't want to watch another one. I've it's watched, a, it's, it's, it's I know what you mean. Thing. I've watched Ozark. You're like... Yeah, it's the no, same thing. It's like, so good. You're the like, none of these characters are like No. No, God. And then, then some of they them... They all like, make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I, am imp- I am impressed with how they how they have made some of these characters so awful like i i'm i'm impressed with how much you've made me hate this person like you know um, congratulations I, I i've never felt more uncomfortable or more cringy looking at this this oh one gosh. character his name his name's tom by the way like he's like the worst thing ever on screen like oh, wow jeez just like, if you if you if you just were to wrap up every cringy most uncomfortable most selfish awful thing you know about every person just rolled it into one just terrible person like man that's tom wow i think his name's tom so it's like really well done but you don't enjoy enjoy the content matter oh god it's so weird i don't know and there's there's too many shows like that now like where i feel that way this this may be a little controversial i feel that way about a lot of uh quentin tarantino's stuff yeah no good people in those really well done but i don't really enjoy the content of many of his movies (laughs) yeah i I can understand that i I love tarantino movies but i can totally understand that because yeah i haven't seen a lot uh, of them but i'm like wow this is really this is a really creatively told story right right this is like a miserable subject matter like yeah anyway yeah no i can understand that it's kind of one of those but it's still good and we're still gonna watch more (laughs) and that's it yeah, that was my weekend. What about you? Watch it uncomfortably. Oh, gosh. I have, I have a mixed bag. I, I know a little bit about um, what you've been up to recently, but uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still curious. I've had a mixed bag myself, you know. Um, we all go through seasons of our life where things are going great, and you're like, yeah, man, this is really awesome. Then we go through other periods where we're like, wow, this is really kind of hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously with pandemic life that many of us are feeling especially lately it's like okay there's a you know there's a lot of things that maybe aren't as exciting to have to deal with so you know you look forward to those moments of reprieve maybe where you can watch a show where you don't like any of the characters and uh you know really enjoy that somehow and you can smack your head into door frames and stuff you know to make your dog feel good um so yeah, we um, you know you look forward to these little these little moments of downtime. Well, then sometimes these like things you try to do to like help like revive yourself and you know lift your spirits and all that they just like go sideways <laughs> and you're like okay, yep, more more just kind of like challenging stuff. Well, that's kind of where I've been <laughs> a little recently. Um, so for one, this didn't happen in the last week, but it happened the week prior and i didn't talk about it because it was still a little raw but uh unfortunately our pet hamster hammy passed away and it was we knew we knew this is our first i mean it's a hamster okay like it doesn't matter i've got a pet's a pet pet. there's a lot of love love there well a pet's a pet but like yes i mean we got so we got hammy at the kind of like in the early (laughs) stages of of covid life like so it was a pandemic had already started we're at home a lot we got the hamster and it was just like, you know, a little, a little fixture kind of in the home there. Like the kids didn't really hold him that much. He, he really didn't like his ball. He really didn't run around very much in his cage. He's honestly, he was kind of a lazy hamster, but we kind of loved him for that, you know, and he would get excited about, 
apples and sunflower seeds. He, he liked to eat, basically, you know? So he was kind of our fat, lazy hamster, but he was kind of a cute little fuzzball. Sounds amazing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Very, very fitting to our lifestyle. We didn't really demand much of us and literally never, ever tried to escape. Like we would, we've, I forgot, left his cage open a couple of times. He didn't leave. He was just in his food <laughs> bowl, you know? And we'd like open the cage and he would just like kind of come out, wait for us to like, hold him a little bit and then he'd like poop in our hands and we'd kind of put him back and never try to jump never just a non-ambitious hamster which was fine for what we needed great Um, but oh my gosh did the kids talk about him and drew pictures of him and like just they just loved on this hamster so we knew we were like hamsters only live to be like two to three years maybe max (laughs) we're like this is gonna be rough like (laughs) when, when this hamster goes the kids are gonna have a hard time with this and you know rachel had kind of a good good sense honestly rachel kind of ended up being the one who was most attached you know she was she was around him a lot and all that kind of stuff um and like rachel had a couple of hamsters growing up and her mom was the one who like got the most attached to the hamster and she kind of find found the same thing with herself too um but anyway so we love the hamster is a little bright spot in our in our life um but she could kind of tell that he was slowing down and just not just not doing so great and so she had a she had a very motherly instinct that she was like i don't think hammy has much longer and it was you know the weekend that we had like a big snowstorm so we were we were kind of snowed in a little bit and we basically just got to kind of spend some like good last couple days with hammy and then like you know the last night not gonna get too too graphic here i mean he was fine he he passed in rachel's hands you know she just like woke up early and she just had she just knew that like it was it was going to happen soon so she just like held him and he was very snuggly and all that kind of stuff and then he just kind of passed and i had to go like wake up the kids and be like you know yeah it happened (laughs) joseph just got home hey buddy (laughs) so he um you know that it was it was i had to go get the kids they were that was the hardest part of it, honestly, was just seeing their reactions. Anybody who has a pet, you know. Um, but, you know, it's still, um, it was honestly like, I'm thinking like as the dad, as the parent and whatever, I'm like, okay, yes, we need to feel this. But I'm also like, this is a, this is a teachable moment. This is a family moment that we can, we can, you know, share in this memory together. I can help teach my kids about grief and how to feel this, how to walk through this. And so even though it was a very sad event, it was a very, I don't know, gratifying event to go through together as a family. And we had lots of talking and healing and it was, it was a rough couple of days there for everybody. And we had a lot going on just in other areas of our life, but you know, we had, uh, that was, that was kind of rough. So it was a rough couple of days and then like, it was a little raw a little bit. And now we're at the point where we like, you know, have mostly just very fond memories and we're talking we're still smiling as we remember certain things and and that kind of stuff and we're we're actually talking about getting another couple of hamsters like probably a pair of hamsters now because you know just especially seeing like okay the kids they had a hard time but they 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 had an exercise in resilience now like they can talk about it they're not like shying away from it they're getting excited about potentially another one you know or one or two and something like that so i don't know it was a very difficult time but also very therapeutic and it was a good kind of lesson for the kids and experience for the family so we have lots of cute pictures and all they like did a, we buried him we did a little cardboard box the kids drew like pictures of him on the box it was like super oh. heartfelt and we like had a whole thing where we like talked about you know things we loved about him and all that and there were a lot of tears i'm like hmm 
yeah. you know, I think it's a hamster, like, you know, but for me, it was like the kids and, and Rachel especially was like, that was the hardest part for me, but it all worked out okay. And, um, you know, we're uh, some, some, some of our on. listeners, some of our <laughs> listeners might actually be the owners of uh, a piece of Ellie Goulet's artwork, um, that does yeah. feature hammy. She, we, we, we give mm-hmm. those stickers away, um, in uh, random orders. So we have hundreds of pictures of hammy ellie drew hammy so many times so it's like that's kind of cool little in memoriam there but you know it's like no matter what he's got a place in history in our family and you know we're gonna just love that and enjoy that time that we had with him anyway so super super sad and depressing kind of stuff but now uh on to the more ridiculous (laughs) nonsense portion of what i've been up to lately so this is very much like a no good deed goes unpunished kind of story. So, um, you know, we've had we've had quite a bit of winter weather here in Virginia, like a little more so than normal. We usually get like one or two snows kind of throughout the, the winter and, you know, usually kind of melts quickly and then we get on with life. Um, you know, it's pretty temperate climate for the most part. Well, we've had a couple of weeks in a row here with some doozies and uh, also with a lot of rain. So like just there's everything is completely soaking wet and um, snow and just all this kind of stuff. So just a lot of a lot of time spent dealing with the weather and disrupting things in addition to the pandemic and all these other holidays and all this stuff. Both my kids' birthdays are around this time of year. So there's just been a lot going on anyway. Um, in addition to that, like I needed to um, help my parents needed, needed to, to move some stuff, you know, and I'm like the able-bodied, <laughs> strong-bodied person who has a pickup truck and a trailer. So whenever anybody needs to move something or have, th- you know, heavy things lifted, it's pretty much like, hey, Brian, uh, you know, what are you doing uh, next weekend or whatever? And so I, you know, I, I, I don't do this for everybody, but, you know, for family and stuff like that i'm like okay cool yeah we'll make this happen well navigating around the weather and all that kind of stuff you know basically this the monday of this week which was a holiday we were close i was like okay cool yeah i can help you move some stuff so um you know because i'm not using my trailer all the time i, I don't park it like in our driveway because then it's in the way of everything so i park it you know in the yard like a little further back um well i had the truck which is a it's an F-250. Like, it's a pretty good size truck. It's a big, heavy truck. And um, I went to just drive, and I, I drove into the yard with my head, and then I was going to, like, with, towards the trailer, and then I was going to just kind of turn and then back up to the trailer, right? Pretty simple maneuver. I've done this a whole bunch of times. So I go, and I go to turn into the yard, and the truck just will not go. And I didn't, like, create any ruts or anything like that, but the ground was so wet that as soon as I stopped the truck, it literally just like sunk down several inches, like into the mud. So the, the yard, unbeknownst to me, like right where the tree line was, where I had the trailer parked was firm. But as soon as I went like outside of the tree covering, it was just swamp. Like it's just a total swamp in the yard. And it it surprised me because it's not always like that, but I guess we've just had so much rain and snow and stuff. It was a total swamp. And because we're not like, I got a lot of family up in New England. Well, it's wintertime. It's cold. Like the ground kind of freezes and it's hard. But here in Virginia, we'll get snow and ice, but then it warms up. So you get this freeze thaw kind of thing. So the ground never really freezes, but you still get the junk, the snow and the ice and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up with this like gen- this light snow covering over swampiness. So I had no indication that I was going to get stuck in this stuff. But I did, and I tried for like an hour and a half to get out. 
delayed everybody's plans who was trying to help move some stuff and i had to just bail i had to take the trailer it's a, it's like a 10 foot utility trailer so it's kind of heavy but you can sort of move it by hand if you need to which is what i should have done in the first place which i had um so i basically had to leave the truck where it was so i was still late holding up everything and then i had to like take the trailer by hand go and drag it over to the to the uh to the driveway and then hook it up to the of an SUV. So I, I took that and, you know, it took a couple extra loads, you know, to move some stuff and okay, it's fine. Still made it work. Well, then I came back, tried to move the truck and I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, I was, I was being so cautious. I was like, I don't want to do anything stupid. I don't want to get this thing stuck. I'm going to just take slow and gentle approaches on everything. But every single thing that I tried went completely sideways and went as wrong as it could. It was just like, in my 20s, yeah, I could see being like, nah, whatever, I'll just gas it. And, you know, you dig a big rut and you're like, oh, gosh, I guess I've torn everything up. I've done that stuff before and I know not to do that anymore. So I took a very cautious approach. But like literally every step of everything I tried just went as bad as it could. Uh. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so what happened is I've, I've seen this trick, the classic like... I've seen this on YouTube and it seems to work for some people. Let me see if this could work for me. So this trick where if you're get, if you're kind of stuck in the mud, and again, I was only like two or three inches down. I wasn't really deep down in there. Um, where you take a two by four and you, you strap it like through your wheel well and then strap it around the two by four. So you're effectively strapping this like big bar, you know, kind of across the outside of your tire to give you extra traction. So my truck, it's only two wheel drive. So I put it on the back two wheels that are gonna be spinning so that I could get additional traction. And I was like, hopefully this will be enough to get me some grip and then I can kind of go out. So by the time I actually did that, this is after I helped with some of the moving and I'd already been doing stuff for like 10 hours that day. I was pretty tired and it was completely dark. So I try to do this thing and I hear it and I'm like, I can kind of hear it going, but I don't really, I don't really feel myself moving. So then I stopped and I went back there and I was like, oh, the axle of the truck was sitting on the ground. Basically what had happened is the two by fours that I had strapped acted like a power shovel and just like dug huge chunks of this mud and just like flung it everywhere. And all it did was dig the truck down. It did not move an inch except down. So now were the two by fours not like wide enough? Maybe not. Maybe I should have done it differently. I don't know. Oh my God. But it like... It did not give me any traction whatsoever. All it did was dig a giant pit (laughs) for each of my wheels to fall down into. And now the back of the truck is resting on the ground. And I'm like, well, I just made this so much worse. (laughs) So then Rachel had the idea. And what I had to do was basically get a car jack and go and put like a board under the car jack, jack up the back of the truck, put jack stands, then jack up the wheels because the wheels, you know, they have suspension on them. So if you jack up the frame of the truck, the wheels themselves were still down in the hole that they had dug for themselves. So I had to like jack this all up in multiple stages. It's freezing cold. I'm like laying down in the mud doing this for like five hours on Monday night with this after I've just done this horrific nightmare of a fail trying to get traction on my tires. So I finally jacked the thing up. I'm sticking like six inch thick pavers like just trying to put anything in these holes underneath these wheels to get it to where it will not like sink back down i literally had like six inch pavers that i put under it and then once i put the weight of the truck back down on it 
the entire paver sunk down into the mud and I had to do it again just to get enough firmness. It was ridiculous. I was like, what is happening here? I've never had anything just, like this happen. No, just yard. leave it. Leave it at that point. Cover it up with more dirt and just it's 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 a <laughs> it's, like, it's a hill it's a hill now. Let the squirrels take it. Just bring, put it back to nature. Yeah, you know, no. had a good run. It's like so anyway. No. Mm. So yeah. Long story short, after doing all that, eventually what I was able to do was with much time and patience, I was able to jack up like each corner of the truck, firm it up underneath there, and then put like long, like two by 10 pieces of lumber under the wheels and then give it like a firm track to be able to pull it on. Because my concern was if I put all this stuff under the wheels, I was going to pull it and then like it would just do the same thing like three feet further back. So I needed like long tracks and, and, and that's what I tried to do. So I did that and then I Jeez. ended up, and then what I ended up doing is I ended up doing this, I have like snatch blocks and pulleys and all this kind of stuff. Cause I do a lot snatch of like, blocks. Yes. Oh, this is a, all right. That's fine. Is, just pr- pretend like I'm going to, no, no, no. Pretend like I know what a snatch like block get, is. Just look it up. There's a, there's a smarter everyday video about snatch blocks. Yeah. I can do that. Look it up. It's really exciting. No. It's, it's basically a pulley. So it's a pulley. <laughs> okay. That you can use, but they're really, Drew, I'm telling you, snatch blocks, they will change your life. <laughs> what am I going to um, do with that? You can do anything you want with snatch blocks. <laughs> it's incredible. It's one of the simple machines. It's a pulley. It's like, it's incredible. So I'm only going to go into as much detail in this, since we're it's having too, a conversation. It's too, late. it's too late for that, Brian. Since we're having a conversation it's too here late. with our audience. If y'all are at two hours in on a pen podcast, for sure, you're like, yeah, I'll learn about pulleys and mechanical advantage systems why not um anyway so this is like i've messed around with some of the stuff like pulling trees like trees are extremely heavy believe it or not probably already knew that that's a very obvious statement but <laughs> i've like felled some big trees and had to pull them out of the mud and things like that you learn a little bit about like ropes and pulleys and these types of things when you're doing that kind of stuff so i was like huh I can probably apply some of that experience and knowledge and tools to getting my truck out of the mud. It's essentially a giant log on wheels at this point. So that's exactly what I did. I set up a rather complex pulley system to give me the mechanical advantage that I needed to get this very heavy truck out of a completely muddy pit. And I did it very successfully. And the truck is now rescued and it is now sitting safely in our driveway. But what I ended up doing, I got to share with you the pulley system that I created for this thing because it was very complex and kind of ridiculous. So (laughs) this thing of what I ended up creating, if you can visualize here. So I had the truck, which is up here, stuck in the mud, right? And so it was trying to go this direction with it. I had um, my tractor, which was I was using to pull, right? So um, what I needed to do, basically, if you just hook up a vehicle or something like that directly with like, a single chain or something like that, you got a 5,700 pound truck, you're trying to pull 5,700 pounds that way, that's really heavy. And especially in the mud, there's probably a lot more weight actually that you're trying to deal with. So what you do is you use pulleys to create compound pull. So you have to pull further, but it's a more powerful pull. So if you have like one pulley, like you have a pulley that's attached to the thing, you anchor it, and then you have yourself pulling, it's half the effort so it's a two to one pull so you can pull with half the effort but you have to pull twice as much rope right so that's kind of how mechanical advantage works well when you get into really complex stuff you can get really powerful pulls so what i ended up doing i'll try to explain it so i had a pulley that i had attached to the back of the truck 
I had, sorry, and this is in reverse here. I had a, some big trees that I was anchoring to because I was right at the wood line, thank goodness. So I was able to anchor another pulley here and then come out this way. So I had a basically a three to one advantage at the start of the truck. So I connected that other pulley here to another pulley system to compound it, right? So then I anchored it to another tree and then another rope. So that created a two to one advantage, which then coupled with a three to one made a six to one pulling advantage. And then that one I had anchored to the tree with another pulley. And then I had a pulley on the back of the tractor, which gave me a three to one multiply that times the six to one that gave me an 18 to one pulling ratio using five snatch blocks, three trees, truck and a tractor. And it worked beautifully. I did not even have to have Rachel in the truck. Rachel was helping me in parts of this process, not the laying down in the mud for five hours part of it. She was out there with me, making sure that things were safe and it was all good. Chivalry's not dead. But it ended up being so effective. I just put the truck in neutral, didn't even have to have it on. And I was able to just winch it and just gently pull the thing right out of there, slowly, carefully, safely. And I was like, heck freaking yeah because drew you know me i am a tool junkie and you yeah know, i was right, just thinking maybe we should do some sort of fountain pen collaboration <laughs> with harbor freight or something like that right or home depot or something but like you know rachel like goes out to the shed and she's like why do you have all these chains and <laughs> metal cables and like she's like you she's like what is a snatch block she's like i don't even want to know just don't even tell like i don't even know what she's like why do you need like seven of these and i'm like right here this is why like because <laughs> i mean granted i caused i caused this problem for myself i'm also for any of you who are smarter out there i think this is i think i calculated the, i i set up the pulleys and i was i got out there and i was so tired and it was dark and all that i was like i'm just going to set up these pulleys and i think i'm going to create this event i think i calculated the mechanical advantage right but it's a very complex one that i created so if i'm wrong on the 18 to 1 ratio let me know in the comments but i think i'm right i'm not sure anyway it worked swimmingly. It was between nine and 10 hours of my time, mostly in the frozen dark, dealing with this <clears throat> truck. I'm like, in retrospect, I probably could just call the tow truck and had them pull it out and done other things. But I learned a lot and I got a good story out of it. And it just gave me an appreciation for a muddy yard and <laughs> just being aware of your surroundings. So I'm gonna never drive my truck into that part of the yard again. And, uh, you know, I... I I view it as an exercise in patience and, um, you know, Rachel and I got to, we bonded, you know, especially the, the morning that I was holding everybody up and I got it stuck initially and I was trying to get it out and it wasn't working. You know, Rachel got to see a side of me that she doesn't often get to see. It was like, uh, you know, in the movie, a Christmas story when the dad is fixing the furnace and he's like, mm -hmm. frazzle, 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 mm -hmm. frazzle. It was, it was, you know, it may have been a bit like that. Excellent. And, uh, it was very cathartic for me to just kind of vent out all of my frustrations of the world as I was dealing with that. And I felt much better after that. And I was like, Rachel, I'm sorry. You did not see the best of me in that moment. And uh, had a bit of an existential moment where I was like, why am I doing any of this? Like, these are all things I've caused for myself. This truck, this trailer, like I bought these things. This is the yard. <laughs> I drove the truck. I did like, literally, I have no one to blame. What Can I blame the weather? Like, no. These are, this is all my fault. Like I just, I could only be upset at my own ignorance. And 
that was a good experience for me to go through that. Just, you know, I'm 37 now. I lived a, a, a fair amount of life. I'm not going to say I'm like super aged wisdom here. I've done a lot in my life at 37 and to still be so humbled by something so simple. It was good. It was good for me because it, it helps me remember that I, there's still a lot to learn every day. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was my, that was my stuck truck experience. But man, speaking about exercises and patience, thank you everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cool, man. That was, that was entertaining. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I just Googled uh, snatch blocks. They, they're, they're just pulleys. They're pulleys. Yeah. A snatch block is a pulley that can like split in half so that, you know, they're specifically they're used for like towing and vehicles and stuff like that. There's all different types of pulleys, but it's snatch blocks are so cool. So cool, man. Get them in your life. They will help you in a jam many times. I, I don't feel like I've needed a snatch block You yet. don't even... What I've definitely found is that now that I have a knowledge of them, I get myself into more situations where I, I find I need them. In that case, I will never buy a snatch block. <laughs> you if you've, ta- if you've you taught me really anything, like Brian, outdoors, the so. moral of this story is to not buy <laughs> tools ever because you'll use them. I mean... It's just like we're looking at the same we're looking at the same jewel. It just I'm seeing it through one facet and you're seeing it through another, right? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Let us know in well, the comments. I'm, I'm, I'm Where glad do you stand? everything is Are okay. Are you all like pro snatch block or like Oh, I'm not anti snatch block. Is, I'm just I don't know. It, like to, I don't to, know. You, to your logic, like <laughs> you would not none of this would have happened if you did not own any of this. So I have no one to blame but myself. This is like, this is almost everything. Don't buy like, trailers. Don't buy pickup trucks. Don't buy yeah, chains. Like, don't buy a, snatch blocks. It's the same thing with like running a business and like leadership and having kids and all that. You're like, no one forced me to do any of these things. Like I chose all these things. Therefore, I cannot have any right to complain about the results and the consequences that come along with these things that I've chosen to do because that's part of the package. So, yeah. Um, these are all my life choices. You, you know what, though? You you also like the dad, in the old man in the Christmas story. He also got really excited when his tire uh, popped and he got to change the tire. Like, yeah, so I'm totally that. That's I'm also totally you. That yeah. Guy. So, so yeah, that, that he, he views it as like a, a challenge, an opportunity to, yeah. to, to fix and overcome adversity. Right there with ad- you. I'm totally the adversity. one that like, oh, you like there's, oh, this tree fell. Let me grab my chainsaw. Like I, let me grab one of my three chainsaws. Can I help cut this up? Do you need it moved? <laughs> like I get so excited about dorking out about all my tools. Anyway, yeah, the uh, the obsession is is real in all aspects of my life. It's not just fountain pens. It's in many other areas. You're so. you're you're not alone. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure somebody in the comments will like want to know more about this, and I will ignore them. Smarter every day. His video on snatch blocks explains it very very well got me really excited about them and that was what kicked it off anyway um company updates we'll make this very brief um kind of the same thing we've been dealing with everywhere else just covid life the covid stuff is very real continues to be real um thankfully we've been able to you know remain operational though with many many disruptions so um yeah everybody's in health various states of health but everybody's still <laughs> moving forward no one's so dead that's good yes that's that's i mean there's 
there's uh, just a lot of stuff going on in everybody's life. And I realize that and not to make light of that. Thankfully, we've not had serious complications with any of our team members. And if we did, I doubt I'd really be able to share much about it anyway. But everybody's hanging in there. We're still getting stuff done. It's taking a little longer. We have a leaner team than we normally would. But everybody's in pretty good spirits. But gosh, it's real. It's kind of just everywhere. And it's more more impacting us directly than it has really at any point through this two-year pandemic thing. Um, that combined with bad weather and like threats of, you know, like we're supposed to Thursday and Friday and Saturday this week. It's like threats of ice storms and all that and more stuff. And like all those beautiful trails I've talked about drew up. Rachel and I just walked the trails today. There's like 10 trees that are down across the trails. Oh, darn. You're going to have to chop up some more trees. How terrible for you. I'm weirdly excited about it, but I'm also like, when am I going to do all this? Because I already have so many other, like, like I just spent nine hours getting my truck out of the yard. Like that was my, that was, I don't think that's going to be a regular thing. Yeah. So anyway, we just had a lot of crazy weather in Virginia. uh, I was, I was impacted by, I was impacted by the supply chain today, Brian, with (gasps) supply chain issues. Yes. Did your top uh, boy that you order on eBay get held up? No, uh, but I am waiting on Splash 1984 VHS. Uh, That is hung up in the mail. I have not, Splash has not arrived, which, uh, you know, I'm a little, little upset about. But uh, uh, no, no. Wasn't that Tom Hanks' Hanks breakout movie, Splash? It was. It was was. his first one, right? It was. Yeah. You betcha. You betcha. David Morse was originally cast for that part, but he turned it down. Wow. And uh, decided to become George Washington in the John Adams miniseries instead. Anyway, um, neither here nor there. Still a good move. Uh, Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, Anyway, supply chain issues. I was at Bojangles today, Brian, as a distinguished gentleman of trying to end on a biscuit, of course. I'm sure. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I asked for Bo's special sauce, which is like this spicy ranch. It's really good. And they said they were out. What? Yeah. And I said, well, I just don't want any sauce. Then, well, you don't want ranch. I was like, no, I don't want ranch. Don't give me your ranch. I want my bow sauce. That was a so non-special that was a little, ranch. I know, right? So that was upsetting. However, supply chain recouped. They were out of medium cups, so I got a large sweet tea. So, you know, eh. Oh. Did they upgrade you to the large at no charge since they were oh, they out did. of medium they cups? They did, yes, they did. They That's did. classy of them. Yeah, so the, 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 the yin and the yang of the supply chain challenges. Okay, you know what? We are all having to walk through this in different know, it ways. Difficult. It was difficult. I, felt, um, I admire your yeah. bravery. I'm brave. With everything that you're yes. enduring through this, this event. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's good to know. Now, maybe I'll let you know when Splash shows up. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember, yeah, that, I haven't seen that movie in a very, very long time. Yeah, same here. I remember being largely confused about a lot of it. I think I saw it when I was a kid. It's not like an inappropriate movie for kids, but it's like, I don't know. It's the, not ending, a, the ending's confusing. It's not a kid movie. Like, when I was a kid, I saw Cocoon. I didn't, oh. I didn't really understand what was happening. No. But like, you know, and I haven't seen these movies in 25, probably close to 30 years. I don't know. I was probably too young to see it. Not from like an inappropriate standpoint, but just like I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen them since. So I like have vague memories of some of these movies. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, Splash is one of them. It stuck out to me. I was like, that was the first time I saw Eugene Levy in anything. And I was That's like, right. that dude's got some eyebrows. That's what I remember about him. Big glasses and eyebrows. Fun fact I learned about Eugene Levy this past week. He was originally cast as Lewis Tully's cousin in Ghostbusters 2. Really? He, there are deleted scenes. Wow. He was actually they actually filmed it. Wow. I believe I believe his name was uh um 
Oh man, I golly, I can't remember his name. Anyway, but yeah, he was because I think that he was originally the the choice for uh, Lewis Tully's character, but then it went to mm. Rick Moranis instead. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, need Rick to, Moranis is a pretty solid. Oh, he killed pretty it. Solid yeah, absolutely. Pick. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that when whenever the whatever obscenely expensive special edition for the new Ghostbusters comes out. Yeah, there you go. You know they're going to do it. I'm sure. Oh, they, they are. are. They are. That, that's, where, that's where I learned this. Nice. But no, for real though, I'm not going to buy it. It's like $275. It's insane. But you want it though. I mean. Mm, if someone gave it to me, but nah, I'll be all right. I've seen that movie yeah. enough. <laughs> You've definitely seen that movie enough. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, company's doing okay. Disrupted, but Moving forward, like a truck stuck in a swampy front yard. Like a tidal wave of bowling balls. A tidal wave of bowling balls. We we might be we might be having to overcome some obstacles, but we are pressing forward. Yeah. And that's all we got. Speaking of pressing forward, y'all listen to probably one of the longest pencasts we've ever done. I keep thinking this is the can, longest. We can do it shorter, and I'm like, how does this keep going? Because I, I talk too much. That's why it's not a mystery. Anyway, we're going to wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for watching, everybody. Please leave us some feedback about how we're doing and why we need to go shorter. We keep trying to find the limits, but y'all are like, no, we literally can't get enough. I don't know how that's happening, but anyway. Um, We need more questions for the show, so please ask us them in comments and places. You can email us also at pencast at if that's the kind of thing you like to do. Um, and subscribe to all of our channels and share it with other people who might also be interested in too much information about things that don't really matter that much. And my random fun facts that we're going to end with today. So, you know, if you've ordered from us, less so lately, we used to use a whole ton of bubble wrap. Now we are using less because we're trying to be a little more eco-conscious. But bubble wrap was originally invented to be used as a decorative 3D wallpaper. It was meant to be a decorative wall covering in like the, I forget when it was, 1920s or something like that. Hmm. Um, But yeah, and then it was like kind of accidentally like, huh, this actually kind of works for like wrapping things in it and keeping it safely. But no, it was meant, it was meant to be a, a, an aesthetic item. Isn't that crazy? Could you imagine accidentally inventing something as life-changing as bubble wrap? Makes me want to just invent random things. I don't know. That is interesting. I have seen it used on like, you know, sci-fi sets. They'll like put it up on the wall, spray paint it like, you know, metallic or something like that to, you know, give it up. And it was also used as part of the seatbelt straps in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Get out uh, of when here. They were, really? When they're, when they're in the snow speeders wrapping around the AT-ATs. Yeah? That's bubble um, yeah, wrap? It, if you look at the, it's the little bubbles, not the big bubbles. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I believe they're popped maybe, but yeah, they're on the, uh, they're on the straps. Wow. So they, they show up in, in you know, uh, cost-effective sci-fi film scenarios from time to time. I mean, you could say that in those scenarios... Not like actually, I'd know that, because that would make me a nerd. Well, Drew, I think anybody who has watched these, that ship has sailed. You're not hiding anything from anybody at this point. That's cool. There you go. Fun fact about Bubble Wrap. Anyway, that's all we got for you this week. Be sure to watch again if you're into this ridiculousness. We're having fun. So anyway, thanks for Thank watching. Thank you so much. And right on.